0: I missed you,
1: baby sweet. It was a day. Hmm.
0: It was a day. Welcome back to Drink in the Movies with Michael. And Taylor. This week we are going to be drinking a nice uh, jasmine wheat. little cheers here. Very excited to try it. Mmm. Michael picked the beer today.
1: What do you think? I did. I am a particular fan of wheat beers. And I'm a fan of this one as well.
0: It's, it's got, like, a, um, like, not quite grapey, but almost, like, that grape sweetness to it that you get in, um, like, those popsicles and stuff
1: when you're little. Oh, yeah. It's a cloudy day, but I think this is another kind of good summer beer.
0: Yeah. It, it's Very cloudy, nice. but still too hot for, uh, for sweaters.
1: Absolutely. Delicious.
0: So, uh, this week, we're going to be trying some recurring segments, and... Um, doing a little bit of of more editing than we've done before. Um, Do you want to lead into a bit that we recorded last week on the films of Barbara Loden?
1: Last week, we talked about the 1970 film Wanda, written and directed by Barbara Loden. This was the only uh, feature film that Loden directed, and we watched it together at the uh, Northwest Film Forum here in Seattle. And both enjoyed it quite a bit.
0: We did. We did.
1: We additionally watched uh, The Frontier Experience, as well as The Boy Who Loved Deer. Liked. Liked Deer. Love is way too strong of a word. He just liked Deer, (laughs) Uh, which we also enjoyed quite a bit.
0: Yeah, that, that was definitely... I liked her shorts a little bit more. The feature film, but... And we'll leave it to them. So, we're going to start with Wanda, which we saw at your insistence last Saturday, exactly seven days ago. One week, in uh,
1: layman's terms. Just enough time to let it gestate. We saw it at the Northwest Film Forum here in Seattle, and after watching Wanda, um, worked backwards through her filmography and watched a couple of her shorts. Which yes, is we watched the her
0: only other directorial credits.
1: The entirety of her filmography, yes. as you mentioned. Rather brief. <laughs>
0: um, so, you said that you had the right amount of time to gestate on it. I think so. For me, um, with her work, I almost want to talk immediately after I watch it, because then mm. it's most acute in my mind what it is that she's doing, uh, that I'm picking up on. Um, Just the way that I watch what she has to say with her lens. And while I was watching all of her work, what I thought of was that she has a really strong feminine voice that I didn't pick up on while watching Wanda, but I did pick up on in the short films, which helped me understand what was so unique about Wanda. Because it affected me, I just didn't pick up on
1: it. Mm. Interesting. So, thinking about the feminine voice and... Maybe first laying the groundwork about the shorts we watched, since those are probably less commonly known than Wanda itself. Yes,
0: but they are available for anyone, um, and I'll put the mm. links on our website to get to them. Um, they'll be on YouTube and on Vimeo.
1: Right. So Wanda is about a middle-aged woman uh, in coal country. film came out in 1970. It looks to be set at about that Time roughly not too many indicators of the of the the era I suppose didn't Um, really
0: need them benefited from that yeah Uh, that's the way the Paris Texas Mm.
1: operates absolutely the two shorts were the Frontier Experience and the Boy Who Liked Deer to um...
0: so before before we get in which did you like the most out of these three directorial efforts that she was allowed to get away with
1: Wanda. Absolutely. One. Okay. And then uh, the Frontier Experience, and then The Boy Who Liked Deer. But I, I enjoyed them all quite a bit. I think I like her style, for sure. Okay. Um, you? The opposite. Ah, okay. The exact opposite order? The
0: exact opposite order, yes.
1: All right, let's work backwards then. The Boy Who Liked Deer. Um, yeah. What'd you like about it?
0: Um, a, a certain timelessness that the youth has. Um, Our our main character is kind of a mischievous boy that is also learning that he doesn't like to be mischievous and um, learning about how his actions affect others, um, both animals and humans, um, which is um, shown through this E E. Cummings book getting torn apart um, in a particular moment of rage when they're assigned uh, summer school. And then um, the boys go to see these deer that he's kind of spent small amounts of time with during each of the parts um and they inadvertently by taking out their aggressions killed the deer with rat poison Mm -hmm. and uh she had a voice that reminded me of margaret atwood specifically in that story where she's Mm -hmm. showing the cost of this malice uh, type of behavior that margaret Mm. atwood's very very uh keen at at pointing out and i think that it's this type of feminine um voice that really allows you to point out the flaws in in this type of behavior especially in teenage Mm. boys that are at the mercy of testosterone more so than at any other point in one's life Mm.
1: yeah to be the the frontier experience in wanda in a way we're more immediately similar because it's focused, they're, they're focused on Barbara. women of a, rub, yeah, they both star Barbara Loden, and she's playing a character, like, roughly of the same age, versus the boy who, like, yes. dear, it's about boys who look like they're, I don't know, young teenagers, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of that so,
0: cusp of 8th grade, ninth grade.
1: Yeah, a really kind of crisp um, to call it a coming-of-age arc, I think, is a little reductive, but it, it is, you know, a a learning moment for this main boy. Absolutely. Um, I didn't do, like, a ton of research into Barbara Loden. Um, just, like, sort of, like, yeah, the Wikipedia page summary. Yeah. Exactly. I heard that um, other
0: people... Ha- I think that I did some brief reading on Letterboxd and uh, going through some Wanda reviews, it was clear that the only people that were watching Wanda were women in feminist classes, which is really... Mm. Uh, Sad that that's the only reason that they think that they should watch her because she's just a good director and a good artist and it doesn't yeah. matter what her political stances. She's a good artist and she should be seen for that reason. A lot yeah, of
1: them. yeah. But I, I think it was it was on their Wikipedia page or even just when you watch the shorts, it says right at the front, you know, that it's for like the uh, Learning Corporation for America or America's Learning Corporation. You know, it's an industrial yeah. video of, yes. of some kind. Yeah, she um, found
0: funding in some way, exactly, which so, shows her
1: ingenuity, exactly, which is I, like, on
0: display in, in both the Frontier Experience and in Wanda.
1: Yeah, so I, 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 don't know like what kind of distribution this got or where it was screened, but you know, it definitely seems like it's meant to have sort of this, you know, um, this kind of lesson like takeaway, right, about yeah. making making good choices. But we watched it out of you know an industrial. Context or a learning context, and it works as just um, an emotional arc. Yeah. Um,
0: and really keen
1: storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, not just for the kid who you do identify with, but also for D Boy's uh, teacher mm-hmm. whose classroom they um, kind of destroy and make a big mess in when he's not around, only to have him. Um, almost catch him in the act and it um, shows him alone in the frame kind of breaking down as he's like looking at Holding his...
0: Holding at his first edition signed copy of E. e. Cummings. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's uh, a really heartbreaking shot. It is. Mm-hmm. Pretty surprising. I was not expecting for a short that you watch in six pieces on YouTube to strike a chord like it did. So I was yeah. impressed. I...
0: I'll have to get you on some more YouTube shorts, I think.
1: You are the king of shorts. I am the king of
0: shorts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that is, like, there is something to be said for that. That maybe, there, I mean, surely there's a copy out there somewhere where you can watch it in its entirety. I think you did. You watched it like I did, just back to back to back on YouTube, right? It's kind of queued up. But the way Um, that it
0: is separated into the parts felt very... Accurate. I, I feel yeah. like that was her choice to separate it in those parts. Sometimes. Yeah. Like it, it really made sense to me. Um, I, I think that we should get to the Frontier experience. But before we do that, I did want to bring up this small fact. Um, this ties into eighth grade, um, mm. where Elsie Fisher signs off all of her videos with a certain saying. You want to say that for the audience? Gucci! So they were listed as part of the reason why Wanda was restored in the very beginning of the Wanda screening that we went to
1: who was listed gucci as financial right i remember that absolutely uh, we didn't talk about that but that caught my eye too yeah
0: so i just i I wanted to bring up that you know this fashion world is bringing back the these wonderful works of art and i just think that's worth mentioning because that's really cool
1: absolutely that's really
0: cool that they were like yeah we'll spend money on this thing that's going to make us no money
1: yeah, exactly. This is this is not broadly appealing. This is not going to be uh, a money maker. It's um, yeah. We it's went to a seven God, o'clock showing of
0: a super limited uh, window release. You know, on a Saturday downtown Seattle Capitol Hill. If there's going to be anybody that shows up to this movie, that's the time they're going to go, and it was pretty much empty. Pretty I think much. we were, were sitting beside someone who works there. You know like it was an empty screener (laughs) 10 people maybe including us yeah
1: rather limited yeah
0: Uh, so frontier experience um the frontier experience what'd you think
1: i like the frontier experience quite a bit so this is about 25 minutes long or so um available online as well um
0: with an exceptional arc
1: it, it does again um a uh a really clear beginning, middle, and end. I think you described when you were talking about shorts and sort of how you um, give them uh, the ratings or stars, it has a lot to do with whether or not they kind of achieve an arc. Yes. Right?
0: Yes. And uh, a fully fleshed out character or a fully fleshed out arc that doesn't use, that, that doesn't ever lose quality. Yeah. And there's a lot of shorts that lose quality. Most of the shorts that I've rated are somewhere between one and two and a half.
1: Right. And these were both fives. With hearts.
0: Yeah, fives with (sighs) hearts. And I was the most skeptical because I gave one to four, but I would be lying to tell you that I liked sitting through it. Right. You know, it's one of those movies where you respect it a lot, but you don't really enjoy the process of sitting there.
1: Mm.
0: Whereas, you know, we were just talking about forgetting Sarah Marshall and... uh, very different. Movies like that before we started production. And those are movies I just like sitting through. No matter how many times, you just like sitting through it. And Wanda's like, I don't know if I have it in me to sit through that one again. Because it's just hard to watch what happens to her. Yeah, And the Frontier Experience is kind of similar, but um it, it's not as painful to watch what she's going through. And I think that's why I liked it more than Wanda.
1: Yeah, there's definitely um a resilience on display from Barbara Loden's character in the frontier experience that I don't think you get in Wanda, except maybe until the end you do see, um, you know, the the effort that Loden's character is putting forth to um, support herself and her family um, on the frontier. We should say this is set, you know, in like 1860s, Kansas, Barbara Loden um, and her husband are have uh two or three kids they're trying to make a go out of it in uh in the west there are uh some other families nearby but they're they're essentially alone isolated yes. and
0: especially during the winter
1: exactly um harsh climate um it's a survival story right
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> it's got these moments of simplicity though where Uh, joy and wealth are both found by winning a foot race Right, um, where she lets her son go off and and after they each go endure their own hardships they both uh, at her son's behest he he brings up the fact that in all his travels because he's been away for the whole winter traveling and doing foot races to win money he'd never seen as beautiful country as Kansas Mm. that seals the deal on why they don't leave but the entire time that he's gone we don't see him we don't see any of, of his journeys we just see them suffering brutally in Kansas uh, cutting open their pillows trying to find uh, little tr- pieces of corn kernel to, to eat like it's just a brutal winter um, it, and it's just a brutal scene uh, she loses her husband when he. they just go to check out a house and ask someone to move out of a claim because their person's coming back and they're a claim jumper. Um, he shoot, He gets shot. Um, they don't even get to talk to him, according to what happens in, in the um, dialogue there. They just say that they showed up and he got shot. Yeah. And she had just said, yeah, it's fine for you to go with these fellas. And, you know, it was just this really um, brutal, honest, limited character stuff which yeah. I think speaks a lot to the screenplay. It wasn't her screenplay. I don't recall whose it was, but um, it's a really, really good screenplay.
1: Yeah. You mentioned the, the foot race, which was definitely the most memorable scene for me because it's halfway through that scene or so that uh, we see Loden's character walk up to the wife of one of the other settlers who we hear described as having... Um, gone mad from the wind so her husband had no choice
0: to tie her up
1: that is a brief image of Loden's character walking up to her and seeing her tied up in a chair just sitting outside by herself while everybody else is off watching the foot race that image really stuck with me that was uh, really disturbing to see her tied up it's hard to tell what's um, like what she's wearing but she looks like she's covered up she just looks confined you know
2: Um,
0: So when they bring that up in the screenplay, um, I had a really strong reaction where I just, I I stopped to consider, which I have before, but I haven't in a while. What mental health support was like back then? When your spouse goes mad and you're the only one that can keep them from dying and what you have to do is basically tie them up so that they don't die. You know, that really is heavy because then you're you're kind of acting as a prison warden even though it's best for them to stay alive then you get into that argument philosophically of like is it best that they're even alive or should they be free to follow their pursuits and if they die pursuing it is that acceptable you know it's it's a really complicated thing i can't imagine having to live back then
1: yeah and on the other hand, like, I couldn't help but wonder, like, when they say, you know, she went mad because of the wind. Like, just what exactly, you know, was she doing? What, like, what was her behavior like that her husband felt, like, tying her up was, was truly necessary? Um, it's just a hard, you know, it's a hard image to look at, right?
0: Well, I think um, that's kind of a turn of phrase. There were, there were a lot of turns of phrase back then that were just boiled down really complex mm-hmm. issues that we understand now in mental health. Into really um, simple reasons so that you could just kind of deal with it because life was already so hard you didn't want to think that someone went mad from loneliness. Right. When really that's kind of what you're talking about. Someone going mad from loneliness. Not someone hearing the wind and thinking it sounds like a banshee scree. But yeah. But loneliness, you know, um, and that she would just, you know, she could have had Alzheimer's, she could have had dementia, yeah, you know, it's, it's really hard to say. Um, but they would just kind of boil down loneliness into, you know, different things. Right. Um, different turns of phrase. Yeah. But really that, you know, we didn't diagnose dementia, we didn't diagnose Alzheimer's, we didn't diagnose Parkinson's, so it's really hard to yeah. say. And, you know, she could just have the tremors. And yeah. so tying her down kept her from tremoring, you know. It's, right. It's and what do people do when they die they like to go off and be alone quite often so yeah it's yeah. yeah very complicated
1: it is and you know it's it's just there's there's not much that it it says about it it's just a a striking image that you don't really know when you hear about this character that you're going to see her and then all of a sudden you see her so briefly it's striking um but um i enjoyed it quite a bit and uh think that's the the one that most obviously or to me more immediately connected with wanda when one of the because Loden
0: is the main character and the director again
1: definitely also thinking about one of the the wives and the frontier experience saying you know had had this husband um not tied um his wife down she would have just been set adrift and gone mm-hmm. wandering or something i'm like that sounds like a, a bit like what wanda does um not that i'm not yeah, saying wanda's yeah, going yeah. crazy this is a, a bit of a this is a bit of a jump but um to me that you know the just just no the thought that, of that is interesting adrift.
0: that you thought that i didn't think that at all i i can bet <laughs> it
1: it was just the the choice of words you know the idea yeah. of being set adrift um
0: no there's certainly a a comparison and similarity Me, made there. I just went down like the mental health rabbit hole when that line came up, and whereas you were thinking about her previous work, right? (laughs)
1: Um, so Wanda,
0: Wanda, boy, when it opens up and she's just wandering through a quarry and you don't know who the hell she is or why the hell we're looking at this person, it really never changes. Who the hell is she and why the hell are we looking at her?
1: <laughs> it is hard to argue with that. We
0: You never really figure out who the hell she is or why the hell you're looking at her. Um but you you know that she seems to have her best times in bars by the end of it.
1: Right. She it, That's yeah, all I it's all really say. <laughs> it's in cold country. We first see her on the couch. At what looks like either a friend's house or a sister's house, I don't think they even describe the relationship, but she seems to be, was know, that, sleeping on somebody's couch.
0: I thought that was um, her 2BX ex husband's house or something like that. See, we're the already. Way the, <laughs> the gonna way the, be that guy storms out the door and slams it when his uh, when the gal's offering coffee, right? While holding the baby. She's like holding baby, the baby, trying to get him to drink some coffee before he goes to work or something. And then she's yeah. sleeping on the couch. I don't know. I just got the feeling that it was like her husband's house and that was his mom or something taking care of her this baby. Is
1: this is like what I'm going to get most out of this is because like it's n- like it really is. This is not a, a movie that holds your hand and like figuring some of this stuff out. No, like not at all. There is no exposition to explain some of this. So in the court
0: case scene, they don't show any kids
1: right yeah so
0: yeah i i think that i just thought that that was the same husband character
1: yeah i thought like she was in the process of a divorce so she was crashing on somebody else's couch and the husband like of her her friend didn't want her there or something like that so he scoffed at the sight of her or something oh Uh, dude i
0: think that was definitely that character's mom
1: you think it was wanda's mom
0: no no the gal in the kitchen I think that that was a a mother character, not a wife character.
1: Mm, I see. Wife of the dude in the house.
0: No, I think she was the mother of the guy in the house.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And that Wanda was the uh, to-be divorcee.
1: Got it. (laughs) It's just a a great example. Very first scene in the movie. We already are not quite sure. All right,
0: let's bear down on this for two hours. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) exactly. What is going on in scene number one? Anyways, um... And then we move on to her, just like you said, wandering through this, this barren coal landscape in that white dress. I just uh, need white some cash. Yeah, going and to a guy... the white dress and the
0: white garb will come back by the end of the episode, folks.
1: That they do. She asks a guy for money who we have not been introduced to, doesn't really get an introduction, um, but can she's call. looking for cash. Exactly. She goes to court we realize she's getting a divorce the judge is talking to her about custody of her kids she shrugs she says i don't really want them
0: they're better off with him
1: just couldn't care less again really strange I didn't really
0: pick up on that i picked up that she cared but that she was incapable of doing more than that
1: just uh that makes sense.
0: Yeah, like a child mm-hmm. in an adult's body set adrift in the world.
1: Yeah. Which is, you're, at that point, you are sort of wondering like, how or why am I supposed to feel for this person who seemingly doesn't, like, seem to feel much for themselves or something? She doesn't or seem to respect
0: inter- themselves or have maturity or have critical thinking or respect decision making processes.
2: Like, yeah. none of that
1: there isn't uh, much introspection or self reflection yeah and it's it's just strange it's just a strange kind of tone and then
0: what's interesting though is how much you project on of yourself in a film like this mm. though, because they're not giving you any background you're projecting your own values on to how you per- portray how you see them
1: that's interesting. I don't know if I was able to... I was I was having too much trouble relating to be able to project. Um, okay. I think... I, I
0: was I, certainly projecting, like, um, when whenever she would have an altercation with a male character where she would get hit or whatever, like, I was definitely projecting, like, my own hatred of what was happening.
1: Mm. That made... Yeah. And, oh, and I was like, no matter understandable. how...
0: <laughs> much she doesn't take responsibility for herself. Like this isn't, yeah. you know, an acceptable thing to happen, and it just keeps fucking happening.
1: Yeah, for a good while, I was just struck by the images themselves. You know, like her walking through that coal landscape, and you know, I couldn't quite figure out like what it was I'm supposed to be feeling because it's not telegraphing well, the emotion. The I watching this? Yeah. And then it it just wasn't until later that you sort of see this, these series of encounters with men that she's so sort of, um, uh, I I guess you could say carelessly gets mixed up in that you sort of realize that like what's so, what's so what is emotional about this is that she, she does care so little. That's, that's what I think makes this kind of a devastating movie.
0: Yeah. And it's like, is it, Because she doesn't care, am I not supposed to care? Was kind of something that I was encountering during it. Because I was getting really Mm. pissed off. (laughs) See, I
1: I very much felt something. It just took me a little while to kind of figure out that that emotion was not going to be sort of something that bubbles to the surface. Mm -hmm. It's something that you realize over time as you sort of um, come to understand just how apathetic this this lady is. Um, there were sort of like three images that only in hindsight that took me like literally like a week to kind of think about together. One is the you know first shot we already talked about where it just looks like it, when she's in that landscape of coal that she's just kind of gonna get like smudged out of it, right? I like that shot. There was the shot of her getting an ice cream cone part way through maybe. She looks like a kid. She just, she looks like she, like a parent should be guiding her, right? I
0: I actually, uh, in my letterbox review, I gave three alternate titles, and that's one of the scenes that I based one of my alternative (laughs) titles off of for this film.
1: All three very on point alternate titles. And then the third one was when she and Mr. Dennis, the thief she gets mixed up with, is mm-hmm. talking to a guy. I'm trying to remember their conversation. I think they're just talking about his plan to rob. Are you talking the about the bank. garage scene. I, they might be in a garage
0: where he's trying to get this fella to help him with the job, and he won't do it because he's trying to um, take care of some sort of a family member. So um, he's forced to rely on Wanda.
1: Yeah, I think I think that could be the conversation. I I can't remember exactly, that but that surely sounds scene? right. Yeah, I think okay. so but those two guys are talking they're kind of in the foreground and then like right in between them in the background is wanda sleeping and she's like it she's sleeping through this conversation about them about to rob a bank she's in like the field position and she and it's like how can you not be listening to this like they're about to rob a bank you're going to be involved and you're napping it's just these all kind of come together to 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 me, what I kind of got was this especially with the ice cream cone, I would describe it as a childlike vulnerability, and um that's where the emotion started to to sink in for me was I felt like this 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 woman felt so isolated and alienated. you just want someone to help- like to help her um to help her sort of um. Hide. figure out how to avoid some of these situations and that's why the the final shot of her going into this bar um and somebody asking her like do you want to come in do you need some help i think there's like a little glimmer of hope there the last shot she looks pretty defeated so i think it's it's tough to know what that is supposed to leave you with
0: i'll say that i felt in the a similar idea but entirely opposite of where you're coming out of from which is you wanted someone to help her, yeah. And I wanted her to take responsibility and help herself mm. the whole time. And I was being driven insane by that desire, yeah. Which is partially why I put it at the bottom of her work, which is still quite yeah. high work. She, you know, her entire filmography is above a four. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> so, yeah, especially, especially it's, a, it's a real shame that she didn't have anything other than two shorts and a full feature.
1: Yeah, the uh, the one scene that we we had talked about. Right after the movie was, uh, when she is like about to get raped by this soldier, she meets after the yeah, bank that robbery was goes that south. Was
0: fucking tough to watch. Yeah,
1: but to me, that is the one scene where she stands th- up for herself. Exactly.
0: Yeah. No. That I I really liked that she did stand up for herself. I just hated that it took a situation like that to get her to do it.
3: Yeah. Yeah, because it had she, to get she real let herself bad.
0: Get into the situation um, to begin with, which is kind of where the problem's at—that she doesn't have the self-worth or responsibility or, or self-culpability that you know you really want her to have. Because you're watching her go through the suffering of her lack of of um, agency. Yeah, and I really wanted to see her become an agent of her own choosing. Um, yeah, you know, as much as one can. So yeah, just to. Tough ass movie.
1: <laughs> it is. It's it's one you, you we both rank I, highly. I'd like but to when... know what
0: she thinks about making it, or why she made it, or how she feels about it now, or I don't know if she's passed yeah. away or any of that stuff.
1: I read that she did pass away. Um, cancer. So we can't call her. <laughs> we, can't. <laughs> we would love to have her on the podcast. Fortunately, that's not possible. <laughs> Shucks. But um, one I think we would both recommend just with caution yeah it's not an easy watch
0: no it, it's definitely something where you want to have enough time to go home and put on your favorite netflix sitcom at the moment and uh shift your perspective before you fall asleep you don't want to have dreams centered on this film something
1: feel sure. good to offset the feel bad
0: definitely definitely um so just just to cap everything off um the frontier experience i feel like it had a, a statement that um, is very clear at the end which is that regardless of all the suffering that you ever endure always remember that spring is coming Mm. I like that I I really liked that kind of theme to it you know because it was just a bunch of harshness but then once spring comes in it's it is a very positive movie and they're gonna go um, or short film they're gonna go buy seed they're gonna go buy chicken they're gonna go buy hog they're gonna really make a go of it and what a positive note to end on Um,
1: better times are ahead that's great I like that
0: and then um, her cutting and framing reminded me of a film that you or filmmakers that you really um, have a certain taste for Mm. the Coppola Mm. female voices that work uh, Gia and Sophia Mm-hmm. I believe one of them is the daughter of Francis, and the other—I uh, think Sophie is the daughter, and then Gia is the niece.
1: I think that's right. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I, on on watching the short specifically, I really saw that kind of a Coppola, um, or what the Coppola girls bring to filmmaking is this really acute feminine voice that you don't get from male directors. That totally. We just uh, don't have the same perspective on certain th- moments and let things linger in the same way. And right. so I really thought that the cutting and editing really exemplified kind of the similarities in voice that Gia and Sophia have with Barbara. Did you pick up on any of that?
1: The Copelas did not come to my mind. I think that's super on point. That makes total sense.
0: Okay. <laughs> any uh, any closing statements? That was my the end of my notes uh, on Loden.
1: Um, closing thoughts? Not other than I wish there was more. Nailed it.
0: (laughs) All right, and we're going to be doing our first impressions, our very first segment (laughs) as a show. Um, We are going to be reviewing trailers from now on as they come out. Um, This week, we're going to be doing two different dance trailers um, if you will, Suspiria and Climax, one from Gaspar Noé uh, from episode one, where we broke down three of his, um, largest films, you could say, and also a film from Luca Guaranino, who is, uh, doing a kind of reinterpretation of, uh, Dario Argento's classic.
1: That's exactly right. We thought this would be a nice way to, uh, pair a little film watching with the first few sips of our beer for the week. It should be a nice complimentary segment.
0: And hopefully we will be able to refer back to it and figure out if we were right, wrong, or totally on each other's wavelengths but not on our own.
1: Should be interesting to see how our thoughts change as the movies actually come out.
0: Cheers one more time, and let's watch these trailers.
1: Cheers.
3: (sighs) Ah. All I'm trying to do is bring life into this house. Open the door to new people, new ideas.
2: You're making some kind of deal with them. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about.
1: Alright, so we just watched the trailer for Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria. This is the first time I had watched it in full. I think you've already seen it once before. Yep. Uh, What'd you think?
0: I still don't think that I'm going to like it the way that I liked the first one. Um, I th- On a bigger screen, I watched it on my phone. On the bigger screen, I was able to see Mia Goth doing more, mm-hmm. which works more for me. Um, she's probably going to be my second favorite actress in this, behind Tilda. Um, and I, I am picking up that maybe Chloe Grace Moretz is the friend who isn't dead yet. Or like the girl who isn't dead yet, who in the initial Suspiria runs away into the forest and dies. Mm -hmm. I'm getting the impression that they might just change the timeline of that so that maybe Dakota Johnson's character becomes friends with her before she dies. Mm -hmm. And then maybe um, Mia Goth will be the girl who dies in the barbed wire.
1: I think that's right. It is really hard to tell whether or not uh, he's going to deviate story-wise quite a bit from the original. It seems to me like that's very possible. So not only is this going to be a stylistic departure, which I think um, people had already sort of gotten that impression from like some of the stills where Mm -hmm. we weren't getting some of the vivid color. Uh, But this looks like just narratively, it's going in a different uh, direction. So it's kind of interesting to just see this as just a reimagining of some of the like defining traits of the movie rather than it being just a straight remake Kind
0: of just taking its characteristics and tweaking them
1: yeah um really excited about the score though because as much as i loved the score of the original that goblin uh -hmm. score i think that's the name of the band um this sounds much more spare i like radiohead i like tom york um you know, this sounds like it'll be more like a Johnny Greenwood kind of thing. I don't know how many other scores Tom York has done, but if it's anything like his other, you know, Radiohead band member, uh, it'll be pretty good. So I'm excited.
0: Yeah. it's um, When I watched it on my phone, the score wasn't working for me at all. Mm. Uh, maybe that's just those pixel speakers, because with my soundbar going, it definitely gave me a lot more to uh, chew on. So, yeah, I was going to ask you what you thought about that. Now, now we know. <laughs> I think it sounds pretty good. Yeah, it, it does sound very almost like Johnny Greenwood, but more restrained, like almost a Hans Zimmer mm. level of restraint with Johnny Greenwood's kind of um, crescendos.
1: Right, you could kind of imagine where that score might decide to swell. Yes. Um, we get just some flashes in that trailer of, you know, some more gristly... Images that seem reminiscent of girls the...
0: levitating on doorways and Mia Goth knocking on a on a mirror door. D- Dakota Johnson looking very imposing at the table with the witch coven. Um, yes,
1: I'm pretty excited.
0: Yeah. No it uh, it certainly looks better than it did on my phone. Now we will mm-hmm. get to the better looking trailer climax.
1: Let's do it.
3: If you couldn't dance, what would you do? Hmm. So
1: sad. All right. We just watched the trailer for Gaspar Noe's Climax. First time I've seen it. Second time Taylor has watched it. Yep. Taylor liked it quite a bit the first time around. I sure
0: did. <laughs> and I liked it even
1: more this time. Having seen Enter the Void, which we talked about on the podcast... I have to think that even if we didn't know That he had a movie coming out this year And we saw this trailer We would both immediately say Oh, that's a Gaspar way movie Yes,
0: and irreversible Some some of that yeah. irreversible camera work there near the end
1: Absolutely, the yeah uh, The way the camera's moving just the, the neon light It's like the camera's on ecstasy itself Or something like that um, Super exciting Just, you know, brimming with energy um, Looks pretty fun
0: very uh female performance driven mm. um it sofia butella in the trailer reminds me of um kind of the magnetism that i felt towards Ana the armis's character in blade mm. runner 2049 last year where okay. it's just the way that um the camera is being used um to evoke her sense of like uh sensuality mm. and emotion Towards this thing that she's passionate about Is just very um, gravitating Like it just kind of glues you to your seat and, and you Want to take the ride with her mm. And I really did not want that trailer to end When she was in the hallway I wanted to just follow her from there
1: Yeah these This is kind of my favorite kind of trailer That doesn't give us much sense Of narrative or plot It's just mood, the look and feel of it yeah. um,
0: What would you do If you couldn't dance
1: It's good stuff I'm excited.
0: So, we've had a little bit of time to drink our our beers in. how are you feeling about it now?
1: It's still sitting pretty well with me. It is one of the fruitier ones that we've had.
0: Mhm. But what do you think about like the jasmine in in the, you know, it's a jasmine wheat. Mm. What do you think about it? Do you do you wish that it would be a little bit more bitter? Do you like it? Um is it kind of too tangy? No, I
1: think it's pretty well rounded. I don't think it's too I don't think it's too sweet. I don't think it's too bitter. Um I think it's, uh, it's very drinkable.
0: Well, yeah, it's beer.
1: All I don't beer think we're too stingy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it certainly is a departure from our, our more chocolatey beer mm. from last week. It's Absolutely. definitely something that like, I would not want to drink all day. I feel like I'd get kind of a sugar headache, you know? it's oh, quite you a sugary that sugary beer. for you? Yes. Oh. But I did just have some straight black coffee before we got going.
1: I think I felt that way more with the citrus beer Mm. we had a few weeks back. That's one more that was particularly good at first sip, but that would have maybe worn on me a little bit. Yes. I think this is uh, one I could knock back for a little while.
0: All right. Well, we're going to continue our Women in White episode. Uh, We've done our breakdown of the first impressions. Um, Which one are you more excited for?
1: Of our Women in White movies?
0: No. uh, Mm. Of the
1: two trailers we watched. Mm.
0: Both are getting a fall release here.
1: I do think I'm particularly interested in Suspiria because I've really liked Luca Guadagnino's last movie. Mm. I really liked Call Me By Your Name. I'm just really interested to see how that sensibility translates to a really different genre. Um, As exciting as the Gaspar Noe trailer looks, it does look um, like a a, a little bit more of the same from him. Um, I don't know that... uh, there's anything in that trailer yet that tells me I'm going to be really surprised with what he does.
0: Yeah. He's certainly not going to change his form. For yeah.
1: You.
0: But, um, for those of us that are more performance centric, he's mm. definitely going to put, um, a, a very choreographed film together. And that's what I'm excited for because out of those two dance movies, it looks like climax is by far the more choreographed and the more dance centric. Mm. And I never thought that I would be kind of a dance centric choreographed Excited type of a, a guy, but that's certainly the film that I'm gravitating more towards. Um, yep. And that's just, you know, if they would have given the impression that Tilda was going to have a, a more crucial role, mm-hmm. I might be more excited there. But I can't tell who's the main character yet as far as Suspiria goes. So I, you know, I like what's easy. Sophia Butello's is clearly the lead character and she can dance quite well. Yes. And his little swoops and sweeps and the way that he, uh, especially in the beginning there.
1: Yeah, with Suspiria, we get almost as much screen time from Dakota as we do Chloe, as we do Tilda. It's sort of like a, yeah, it's sort of um, equal time across those four. So it is um, a little hard to decide where the center might be.
0: Yeah, and that might be a really fun film. It just doesn't make for a fun trailer, I guess. That makes sense. All right, well, we're going to move on to um, a short film. From one of your favorite directors If I'm not mistaken
1: That's correct Sofia Coppola Who's directed one of my all time favorite films Lost in Translation uh, But I've liked a lot of her movies uh, The Virgin Suicides, The Bling Ring um, The Beguiled um, So I had not seen any of her uh, Shorts before I think this might be one of the few she's done I don't know that she has a large portfolio of shorts but um, Yeah I do not see I,
0: any others cropping up
1: Yeah uh I had heard of it before. Thought it'd be interesting to check out.
0: Yeah.
1: And this was the first time you'd seen it as well, correct?
0: Correct. I didn't even know that she had um shorts to her name really. I, I assumed mm. that, you know, like any aspiring filmmaker, she would have done some stuff in college. Yeah. But it seems like this yeah, you know, it was really well done. I didn't care for it, but it was a really mm. well done short.
1: Yeah. Um I do think, I, I have a slight affection for it, just because I think I have a, an affection for her work in general. You know, we all kind of like have the directors who we just associate with, you know, our first kind of realization about how much we like movies. Mm. For me, Lost in Translation was one of those movies where yes. I realized how much I got out of a movie where not much happens, and I realized that that was partly just the filmmaking. Like, I had been, you know, a bit more passive, I guess, in my viewing prior to that, and then I watched that movie, and I was like, wait a minute, there's something, like, kind of going on here that I'm connecting with.
0: I think I kind of had, like, a Wes Anderson experience with her Mm. film there. Um, What is it called again? Lost in Translation. Yeah. Um, Where I didn't get gripped in and, like, tried to examine why I appreciated it. Mm. I just felt a constant swooning for it. I, mm. It was just, you know, I was putting yeah. in its hands, much like Wes's earlier work, yeah like Royal Tenenbaums and um, Darjeeling Limited. I didn't know mm. why I liked those things. I just knew that I really liked them. And yeah. um, I think that I'd watched Lost in Translation kind of simultaneously with Terminal. And I was like, mm. what I do I like about stagnation? Like, why, why am I enjoying this stuff? And what's interesting is how I really like that stuff, but I didn't like Up in the Air, which is something kind of very similar. Mm.
1: That is interesting. Uh, I've never seen The Terminal, um, but Up in the Air is an interesting interesting comparison if you're kind of thinking about these as movies about alienation. Yes. Um, Yeah, so that's definitely a soft spot for me, and I think that's a great movie. Um, One criticism, though, that I've always heard of Sofia Coppola from some people is that they think she makes what seem like music videos. These feel like MTV-inspired movies, particularly things like The Bling Ring or somewhere, where the soundtracks play in a really heavy role. These are soundtrack-driven movies. I've even heard people level that criticism against Lost in Translation, where there's a lot of pop music. Not pop, I, I, I shouldn't that say, unfair. but it's, um, it's not a score, right? It's a soundtrack. I, sure. I still
0: think that's unfair. I, I, I don't do think that you can draw a strict distinction between score and soundtrack, personally. Because I think that a score is just a soundtrack of a different name.
1: Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. Um, that's never felt quite right to me. I think I maybe got that sense a little bit more with "Lick the Star." Um, that's probably also just because of its runtime. Um, I didn't
0: get that, but I wasn't looking. I was. I wasn't thinking about those criticisms.
1: Yeah. And I. Yeah.
0: There's a lot of criticisms I have of "Lick the Star." Which Mm -hmm. is just really limited stuff Like, you know, it would have been better if she would have twisted the camera there So that it would have Mm. had these angles Instead of having the girls You remember when all the girls were laying behind the bleachers And one takes up each side of the screen I was Mm -hmm. like, it would have been better If they took up each side, each corner Right Right. Just like small criticisms
1: Yeah, Yeah, you know, there's moments of dialogue But then the dialogue will stop And we'll see the characters just kind of continue about their business While we just listen to a song, you know, that's playing Um, So I kind of get that, you know Um, impression that people might get Um, and I I think you see the, you know, um, interest in women that's present in all of her work Mm -hmm. immediately clear here like this is a story about young girls girls, Um, I think
0: almost more than women Um, like I I don't think the beguiled is as interested in telling the story of like Nicole Kidman as -hmm. it is Elle Fanning
1: yeah, I would agree just women or girls the female gender um, I would yeah, say.
0: But, I, you know, I, I think she's kind of a grown kid, you know? Like, she wants to talk about what it's like to be a girl and, you know, w- how those growing pains look mm. and feel. Because those are things we don't really get with too much accuracy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the best example of that is Marie Antoinette. Did you see Marie Antoinette?
0: I, that's probably my, f- hmm... My second or third favorite film from
1: her. Really good movie to me. That's one that you know again has a lot of popular music in it. But I think it really fits oh, with it, the youthful it vibe.
0: Fits the um, set decoration.
1: Absolutely. And the yeah. stage productions. Yeah, it's all kind and of in Jason keeping. <laughs> yeah, it's in keeping with the decadence with their oh yes. youthfulness in comparison to you know sort of the obligations that are forced upon them. She right. She's quite it's like,
0: the decadent director.
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting to always put you know shorts like this in the context of what a director goes on to do. Was this
0: '98?
1: I think that sounds about right. So what remember that? the exact like a year.
0: year? Three years before Virgin Suicides.
1: I think Virgin Suicides was like 2000. I remember it didn't. Yeah, I think it didn't quite make the cut for the film spotting best of the '90s, and I think it was because it like just barely fell over. I think I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was some debate
0: conversation. Um, Yeah, I don't care for that movie at all, but I I think Mm. that it it certainly shares a strong similarity with "Look the Star,"
1: absolutely, which is
0: you know, kill the rats
1: (laughs) exactly. Um,
0: So luckily, this is a YouTube short, so I'll have the link in the. uh, show
1: notes
0: well i don't think that we can toss it in the show notes so it'll be on the website mm. but i'll have the link mm. to the website in the show notes um so if you just go to the website um we'll have it under episode five with links and uh we do that for all the the movies that can be streamed for free whether it's hulu or netflix or anything that you can watch for free especially when we get around to jack ryan i'll be sure to get those links in
1: Yeah, it's less than 15, 20 minutes, I want to say. If you're interested in Sofia Coppola, it's worth checking out.
0: Yeah. All right, well, that was Lick the Star. Let's move on to a little bit of love after love.
1: That's right. This one has been on my radar for a few months after I saw that it had gotten some pretty good reviews. This uh, is a small film starring a few popular... Uh, actors. We have Chris O'Dowd as my, well.
0: One of my favorite Chris's.
1: That's right. We also have Andy McDowell, I believe is her name, in yes. uh, one of the lead roles.
0: Very strong. Very strong. And she uh, will be the mother to an actress that we go on to talk about the next film of. Which film are you referring to? Novitiate. She's Margaret Qualey's mother.
1: I don't think that's right. No? I don't think so. I think that's... Uh... Oh, I know what that actress's name is. I'm forgetting it, though. Um, Margaret Qualey. That's Margaret. Margaret Qualey is the young girl, correct?
0: The main character in Novitiate.
1: Right. I think her mother is also in another movie we both watched earlier this year called Where We Are Now? Or Who We Are Now?
0: I think you're talking about Julianne Nicholson, and I think you're wrong.
1: Yeah, I think exactly. I think Julianne Nicholson is Margaret Qualey's mom. In Novitiate.
0: Let's see. This is a live Google test. Who's right? Who's wrong? Oh,
1: man. Here we go, folks. We're scrolling through IMDb on Novitiate. Julianne Nicholson.
0: No, oh, so. Margaret Qualey's right there. Yep. Okay. Go to home.
1: On my IMDb.
0: No, go to home on Google. Or iPhone, whatever. Go to Google. <laughs> <laughs> Type in Margaret (coughs) Quailey. Click. Okay. Now let's look at her parents. Oh, I see. I win. Game over.
1: Check and mate. I thought you were talking about the character's mother in Novitiate. That's why I was saying it's Julianne Nicholson who is in Who We Are Now.
0: Yeah, she is in that, but... No, I'm right. You're wrong. No no no, you no, 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 no.
1: This was a miscommunication. <laughs> this is where we need well, we'll really someone back. behind the scenes. <laughs> I'm behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Annie McDowell, not Julianne Nicholson, is in love after love and is quite good. Correct. Uh, and just... she is
0: Margaret Quayle's mother. Correct. Therefore, I win.
1: We'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Just a brief plot description. This is about um, Indy McDowell plays a um, middle-aged woman, uh, maybe in her 60s or so, whose husband um, passes away after um, somewhat of a uh, slow and somewhat painful-looking death. Her two sons are played by Chris O'Dowd and... Uh, I want to say the actor's name is James Adamayan, if I remember correctly. I, I looked that up because I liked clue, him.
0: So, yeah, no, he was very good at playing a drunk.
1: Yeah. And the first 20 minutes or so of the film is about um, this father uh, and husband passing away and how his wife and two sons uh, cope or don't cope, cope so well. Yeah,
0: kind of the void left.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, what did you think?
0: Um... Well, I give it a 3.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No heart. Um but I I did feel like I was led by the artist very well. I think that what he wanted to do uh was accomplished on me. I think that he was trying to be abrasive, trying to make me um feel almost upset and um disconcerted and I he was mm. executing perfectly in in all those roles. Um I think he was trying to get me confused. I think he was kind of trying to get me to pick up on, like, an Oedipal complex thing happening with Chris O'Dowd and uh, mm. Andy McDowell. Which is best illustrated in the beginning when she's kind of sitting in the sunlight there reading the book. And you don't know that she's his mom quite. You, you, you almost pick up on, like, a sexual tension. Mm. It was certainly, um, y- you know, exactly what you'd expect from kind of a waspish Upper East Side filmmaker. Yeah. And my review specifically was... When people say they love Noah Baumbach, I'll tell Mm. them about this because I prefer this to Baumbach.
1: Interesting. Um, On one hand, I want to give this movie a five because I absolutely connected with the style of it. I thought it looked great, and I really liked the score, and I really liked how it was cut together. Um, I thought some of the um, editing... And how we jump in time jump forward in time was pretty interesting um it's not immediately obvious that at certain points we're jumping forward in um you know in this timeline because the um images themselves like don't change that much like there is an obvious seasonal change there is an obvious like changes in the character's physical appearance appearance but we see the father's you know uh Process of, of death we kind of jump from him at first having this kind of you know weak gravelly voice to a, a quick cut and suddenly he's bedridden um but the world looks the same dad
0: and you're like as the viewer you're almost unsure of if he is dead or if we're at the funeral home for someone else the way yeah. that's kind of seemed together
1: yeah um it's sort of jarring how quick those those cuts happen Um, I can't remember who it was on Letterboxd, but some critic sort of thought that connected well with the, the jazz score and how that kind of improvisational jazz piano was in sync with sort of this unpredictable editing. Um, and that sounded just right. Like, I think that really worked for me. Um, but, um, I don't know that like, I like the relationship between the characters really resonated with me like I wanted it to, um. I definitely had the same response that you did, um, which was that, like, I was sort of um, not liking these characters very much, and that seems like it was the intent. So, mission accomplished. Um, But I wish it maybe I was just a little more interested in how they were sort of relating to each other. Um, I don't know that that's really going to stick with me. Um. So,
0: uh, I had the benefit of reading the review, I think, before I even watched it. Mm. Um, And you... Lean away that I entirely don't You did not care for Odette no
1: Yeah That was Why? my first impression um, it, You know it, it, Like we already talked about a little bit It totally could be because it's hard To not mix up your sort of dislike of a character With you know the Your dislike Your, your disliking a performance um, So
0: do you think that it was His artistic strength or weakness That made you not enjoy the The performance that he gave
1: I do, I, it's, it's getting hard for me to articulate what it is about his performance, but I just think that when I l- remember this movie, however far from now, he's not going to be the one that I remember. I think I'm going to probably remember Andy McDowell more quickly. Interesting. Um, uh,
0: just because of her silent, mournful face.
1: Yeah, maybe she's doing a little bit more with her face. Um, some of her expressions seem a little more painful. There's some of his vocal delivery that... It's hard to know if it's, you know, so deliberately abrasive that it's there for a success. But when he's talking to his wife and calling her inconsolable, do you remember that scene? I do. Um, you know, he has his arms crossed. She's sitting down. He's sort of leaning over her. Um,
0: oh, no, don't he's know, a monster.
1: Yeah, he is. And I get that that's the point. But at the same time, like, I don't know that, like, it just quite... Worked for me, you know. You you can sort of, on one hand, know that you're supposed to dislike this character, and so you do. But at the same time, you also need to sort of um, the performance kind of just needs to resonate with you. Yeah. Um, and and I I don't know that it really did. Um,
0: well, it didn't resonate with me. Um, m- meaning a consistent reverberation that makes me continue thinking about the character. Yeah, you know, res to resonate. Yeah. Um, but while I was watching it, I think that. Um. I I know a fair amount about O'Dowd's process, or whatever you want to call it, and I I think that he executed exactly what he would have been asked to execute Mm. um, based on the context of the film and what that character is. Does that character have a redeemable quality?
1: Not particularly.
0: I can't think of one. No. So he was asked to play an irredeemable character who was alive. Yeah. Which is a very hard thing to ask any actor to do. I can't think of too many roles that are entirely irredeemable, right? Like, Maleficent has redemptive qualities. Right. The Witch in Snow White has redemptive qualities, you know? Like, there wasn't a thing about Chris O'Dowd that made me feel sympathetic. Yeah. But I was still um, willing to watch his performance and not completely shut myself off. Yeah. Which is something I think a lesser actor would have done.
1: Right. It's absolutely possible that this is sort of a director's error, right? Because I think the strengths. Well, it's a this, debut film. Yeah. Um, I think what his strengths are are stylistic. And I think maybe just, you know, how he kind of works with actors and how he gets them to work together is maybe something that will just, you know, improve over time. Yeah. Um, but there were not conversations. There were not interactions that really. um Caused me to pause, or um, that struck me, you know, in oh, a very dude. strong every, way.
0: Every time he was being a giant asshole to whatever the love interests were, mm. or when he was trying to go up to his ex girlfriend or ex fiance's apartment, when he yeah. was with this new girl, oh man, yeah, no, I hated him. I felt.
1: Oh, you hatred. did strong. You, you yeah. responded it. Yeah, you responded to it more strongly than me. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think. Those, yeah, I I didn't feel those quite as much as some of the instances where we see the brother, um, who I think is, you know, coping, obviously, in a very different way. I keep saying coping. It's them not coping, which is what this really is about. Um, You see him get wasted at a um, family party and... Take a piss on some coats in the mudroom,
0: but it's um, it's Chris O'Dowd's fiance's family's party.
1: Right, it's so really it's not painful. Really a family
0: party. It's yeah, it's terribly awkward. One of those things where I did actually get up in the middle of it, walk to my room to do nothing in particular, just because I couldn't stand the awkward cringiness of the scene. And when I came back, he was still peeing. And I was like, oh, "All right, I'm just going to sit down and deal with this." <laughs>
1: yeah, it's hard. It's hard to sit there. You like you do kind of feel for those characters. You're like, "Oh God, please, everybody, just leave that room." Yes. Um, I really liked his stand-up routine towards the end. I think it's towards the end. Yeah. I mean, no, it was really good. That yeah. was a
0: great piece added in.
1: Yeah, um, that it was sort of a nice moment where you think. I, I don't know if I've quite made up my mind about what to think about it, but I, I on one hand, I kind of think maybe this, this could be one way for him to sort of yeah uh, I think work he, through this.
0: I think he audibly says it's basically therapy, but you're paying me for it or right. making fun of me for it or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's talking about how when, you know, somebody dies, you know, everyone... Grieves and then has to get up the next day and go to work. Yep. Um, and it's 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 funny and super depressing at the same time. Um, and and you and you really feel but for it's, him.
0: You know, it's life. It's it's yeah. more just funny than it is depressing. It, yeah. It's like the first yeah. time where the depression plays second fiddle to what's funny. Yeah. Whereas what's what was funny before was how depressing things were. Yeah. And now it's funny first and depressing second.
1: Yeah. There's nothing up until that point in the film that's made you laugh i don't think i came close to even smiling
0: so the female relationship to chris o'dowd in the whole film made me think about mia wasikowska's character in damsel Mm. where she's like just leave me the fuck alone basically again he's just not doing it he just keeps coming at her like robert pattinson and and um you know that was the highlight and the strength of damsel for me. And I think that was kind of the highlight and the strength of, of love after love. If I had to pick, um, inter scenes of performance, which would be mm. Chris O'Dowd and those two female characters, um, his girlfriends at different periods of time. Mm. Um, but if I had to just pick a single performance, it would certainly be more Andy McDowell or the brother, um, doing that performance piece of being a comedian at, near the end.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Um, a lot of images I think would stick with me Like a lot of the shooting you know, Is through doorways or characters are framed By doorways or framed by hallways um, You get a lot of natural light Coming in through the windows um, To me that did sort of like Alleviate the pain Of watching um, this guy Die um, And like I, I do think It was just really beautifully shot I think that's yes. the best thing about the movie for me um, I
0: recently watched a limited series on Netflix called Collateral.
1: Oh, yeah, it was a
0: shot from the other side of uh, a clear sort of opening, whether it's a hallway or an actual window or a car window. Or uh, at one point, they have this beautiful, eloquent shot of a re- revolving door, revolving glass door, mm. and people going through it. It was just, uh, and like getting someone in the driver's seat through the reflection of the mirror on the driver's side so i yes, I really like that touch, and I didn't really pick up on it in love after love, to be honest,
1: oh really, really, interesting, <laughs> yeah, um, I connected with that um pretty immediately, um, I remember one shot where. We're often seeing people kind of framed in doorways But there's one in particular Where we actually have like two doorways within the frame On one hand you see on the left side The brother James Ademeyen, Sitting in a chair And on the other side on the right doorway Is the father uh, On his deathbed
0: Oh Prior- I, I kind of feel like I remember that And I almost think that there's a recurring shot That happens later at the party With him sitting alone And then Chris O'Dowd being smothered by his fiance. In a mm-hmm. chair, so it's like two people are sitting in his chair, and the brother's alone sitting in his chair drinking.
1: Yeah, sort of that visual isolation yeah. of the brother and feeling kind of the
0: recurring uh, stylism.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that all sort of contributed to to me feeling so much for him in particular. Um, I thought those were were some nice touches. I um, so yeah, I would be really excited to see what he does next. Yes,
0: um, yeah, very auspicious film debut. Yeah, but. Um, I'm not going to, you know, ask him to put the pedal to the metal. Take your time. Yeah. Um, I, I think that he's probably going to be a director that works best off his own screenplays, kind of like Noah. Mm. I just think I'm going to like him a lot more than Noah. Yeah. Because Noah's highlights for me were when he got Greta to work mm. with him. And, you know, other than those, I, I don't really care for his work too much.
1: The Mistress America and Francis Hades. Yes. Yeah. Thank I didn't you.
0: care much for the Meyerwitz. Great performances are hidden in there, but the film yeah. itself... Is basically as cringy as that whole piss scene. <laughs> yeah,
1: it is. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to get up
0: and walk away whenever Dustin Hoffman opens his mouth.
1: An extended version of that feeling, <laughs> pretty much. But Love After Love, it's available on VOD, iTunes, all the usual sources.
0: Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and hop over to Andy McDowell's daughter's film, just to uh, hammer that home uh, Novitiate. That's right. You responded a lot more strongly to this than I'd expected, and than I did. I was. This was sh- kind of my idea.
1: I was shocked by how strongly I responded to Doviciate Yes. Um, it's one of those movie was mo- one of those movies where even though I felt like there were some things about it that felt off, certain things I responded to strongly enough to sort of just outweigh the, some of the problems I had. Um. What it, but yeah, you were a little a little cooler on it.
0: Yeah, a lot cooler than you, but I still thought that it was like a pretty good movie, or or film, not really good movie, honestly. Mm. It's pacing does not make it a good movie. If we're going to mm. make those distinctions between good art film and good enjoyable movie, mm. not a good enjoyable movie, a good film. Um, it There's really good character work done, but I think that the choice to make it nearly two hours was a lackluster choice. I don't think you needed that much time. I think that you could have um, got rid of the girls or got rid of more girls more quickly to give her more screen time. Interesting. And that would have been um, a way to cut 20 to 25 minutes and just make it tighter and make it more suffocating and make her experience kind of more narrow um, without sacrificing the objective or the tone of the film.
1: That's interesting I totally agree That it felt too long Two hours was Too much It kind of had A couple opportunities To maybe wrap it up And it didn't quite Oh, it, sure do it did. when it
0: Around 80 minutes Was when I was like Okay so we're wrapping her up We're gonna put the bow on it Just give me some of that Julianne Nicholson And we'll go home
1: Yeah Um <laughs> But it's hard. I don't know that I had the same response that I I could have done away with some of the other girls because some of the other girls are what I did sort of respond to in this movie. Um, Whenever I see a movie that sort of grounds a main character in a group of similar characters, you know, in a similar position, I feel like too many films resort to the same sort of tactic where you sort of distinguish between the characters with some really obvious traits uh, in replace of just good characterization you make one of them fat. So how many, how many you make characters one, do you uh, How many do I need? Yeah. Um, I don't remember how many there were, but however many there were felt about right to me.
0: I think there was around 20.
1: Characters in total?
0: Girls that came in with her. We don't spend yeah. that much time with them.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, I'm not saying that they necessarily, by getting rid of them, you get tons of minutes back. But I do think yeah. that the tone of her being isolated within the church mm-hmm. um, could have been up by mm-hmm. kicking more girls out more quickly but I do mm-hmm. think that the specific characters that you're talking about really contributed to the tone of the film Yeah, I'd, it's not them that I'd want to get rid of but there are other girls in the background on the staircase that mm-hmm. aren't really there for any other reason than to console and I just think that mm-hmm. if someone wasn't there to console that girl that would have been even more depressing right and it just would have played off of what I picked up as its tone.
1: That's interesting. Um, I don't know something about those those girls being there, but them being unable to connect with each other. You know, they go through that lesson at one point where they are not supposed to look at each other. To me, that is part of the part of what makes it so devastating. Is like what the, you know, this girl's so desperately in need of just human connection, human connection. Um, <laughs> Specifically, she's turning to God for a certain kind of uh, comfort, I should say, sustenance. Yeah, intimacy. One would say.
0: Um, well, I mean, literally, like sustenance, like yeah. manna from yeah. heaven, is what she's looking for.
1: Yeah, um, and on a number of occasions, you start to feel like what's really what's like right in front of her is the opportunity for, for friendship. Um, on one hand, and you know, the romance obviously comes later in the film, but that lesson where they're uh, being taught about not looking into each other's eyes um, is kind of devastating. Like, you see the opportunities for these girls to um, to bond and then being forced to sort of ignore each other and then ultimately tear each other down. Um, well, the other
0: girls do that, but um, she doesn't. Mar- Margaret doesn't do that. She does it to herself. She tears herself down. Mm-hmm. She... Um, I don't even know if she was actually talking during the silence hour, but she goes into Melissa Leo's office who we haven't talked about yet. Mm. And she asks Melissa Leo for the, um, what, what was the tool called?
1: The discipline,
0: the discipline. And then she proceeds to go beat herself
1: with it yeah.
0: in a, with an expectation to get closer to God.
1: Right. Did that not work for you?
0: No, it absolutely worked for me, okay. but like, that's terrible. She lies, basically, yeah. or does the wrong thing on purpose to go yeah. get something to beat herself with. And instead yeah. of being told that she shouldn't, Melissa Leo just wants to know how sinful she was. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just terrible.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all that really hit home for me. Um, oh,
0: yeah, it's just the, the time... Like oh, I, okay, I I don't um, the movie, I don't think length, that yeah. Julianne Nicholson's intro should have been moved or anything. I
1: mm-hmm. can't
0: put my finger exactly on what's wrong with the pace, but there is something wrong with the pace. I agree. Um, I think that there was something wrong with another nunnery film last year, The Little Hours. I think that it was too long. Definitely. I liked it a lot, but it was way too long. And I think that this is just another movie that's just too long. And there's got to be moments where it can be edited to be shorter. Now, you and I both recently saw Crazy Rich Asians, and we, there's a lot of easy places to cut time off of that
3: Absolutely. very
0: easily. But this is a movie totally opposite, where it's because it's a general feeling that you take away from that film, and because of its open-ended, open-ending, yeah. um, it's really hard to characterize exactly where to cut so that you feel the same. And right. so I definitely sympathize with the choice to leave it that long, because I don't, know how you would edit that to get the same feeling when you leave it
1: yeah i agree um that's why filmmaking is hard i guess <laughs> that's that, why we don't do it exactly it's why we talk about it <laughs> um because the th- that runtime does allow for some time spent with other characters that really did um hit me um like Quality i really love interest yeah Absolutely. Uh, I did like all the moments where her mom does come to visit her, and her mom just doesn't understand what the appeal is, what she seems to think that it's her fault her daughter is committing herself to, you know, such an isolated way of living. Yeah, I didn't Um, pick
0: up on that. I I almost thought mm, that she knew why she was there, and that that's what hurt the most.
1: Interesting. You think think she knew that perhaps it was because of her... uh, Failed marriage? Something like that?
0: I think that Margaret Quaidy's character was looking for comfort. And Mm. for um, forgiveness, compassion, a higher sense of devotion to her from basically a family member. And that she thought that a mortal husband was a failed choice. And maybe thought that her mom made the wrong choice in marrying her father. And settling for such a lowly man of the earth. And that she would settle for the best man, a man that is completely undefined and uncharacterizable because he is not a real thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. If he isn't a real person, he can't betray you, he can't hurt you. Yes. Um, She's told that he can comfort you, and it's hard. And then she ends
0: up doing all the things that a man did to her mother, to herself, to try to get this delusion of an idea of a husband to come down to her and make his voice clear. Yeah. And it certainly ends without you feeling that she found that and that maybe what she found instead was um, more compassion, more forgiveness, and more earnest love from a female character.
1: Right. Um, I, I, I really liked her performance. I thought it was a really sympathetic performance without Absolutely. just being too much... Um, I saw every single person on Letterboxd talk about the "Please Comfort Me" scene, which totally worked for me. Do you remember when she's is actually
0: there? She's bedridden because she hasn't been eating, and the um, the girl who comes because her old nunnery didn't have enough discipline is reading to her, and it's kind of their first sexual moment.
1: It's not until that night that I think Margaret Qualley's character goes to her room and says, "Uh." I just want to be comforted. Please comfort me. Please comfort me. Oh. Um, and you know it's either her asking, you know, just to be held, or is it for more? And it, it obviously leads the to door more. shuts. Right. Yeah. Exactly.
0: And then we don't know what happens. Yeah, I yeah. remember wondering, ooh, what mm. they get up to. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, some people thought I, I, I read some people say they thought it was over the top. I thought I thought it was. Uh, no, I thought a it 15. was
0: sweet and honest about kind of how young people. Don't know what they want. They just want.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Um,
0: now, Melissa Leo, let's just go there. Yeah. Very Patty Clarkson oh, and yeah. Sharp Objects. Yeah. Very strong. She starts really um, slow, silent. Um, je- I think that I said something kind of like she was just this slow-moving behemoth that was all vitriol behind the eyes, but placid on the surface and didn't really give away that she was going to become this terrorizing monster
1: yeah she's intimidating to say the least she succeeds on that front um, it's hard for anybody to play none you're completely relying on your your face especially for a role like that where you have to be so large um, and to sort of you know put across that intimidation just with your eyes and your mouth alone and her, and, her, and her voice um, I, I think she she pulled it off.
0: Absolutely. Um, um, I recently finished season two of Showtime's um, series, I'm Dying Up Here. It's a stand-up comedy series where yeah. she plays Goldie um, and runs kind of this comedy club where she plays a very similar um, strong-willed character. So I've I've kind of been tuned up for her performance there. And I, w- I was very happy to see her playing um, into those strengths of hers, which are just this you know, even though it's a demonic role within the film, like, you know, you couldn't be more of a demon in this movie than if you were the head of the (laughs) nunnery.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, in one way, you could just think of this as a movie about hazing, right? Right. Um, Like, in a way, it's a pretty good movie about just that idea alone and, and how hard it is for those who have been hazed to not want to, you know, validate their own having been hazed by hazing. Yep.
0: Um, yeah, that that was in my review I right? said so, uh, yeah. college hazing It got shit on the nuns Exactly,
1: <laughs> way worse than any frat experience um, But In that final scene when she does Read to the rest of the nuns What Vatican II was all about mm-hmm. um, To me that's an interesting scene Like Some of the faces are a little hard to read You know, you can't tell For me Whether some of them were were thrilled To be um uh, you know, set loose a little bit. To no have longer under res- the
0: wrath. Uh, um, legally, no longer under the wrath of Melissa Leo. Exactly. And then others were upset to lose the discipline.
1: Yeah, l- yeah, lose. Um, that. Uh, you know, I use the word ascetic in mind. You know, that 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 lifestyle of s- severe self discipline. Um, and you know, to to kind of think you're you had done this your whole life. It's like, what was the purpose of this? If you don't continue to do it, that just makes me look stupid. And what's the
0: purpose of it if you continue to do it?
1: Yeah, regardless. Exactly. What
0: I thought was interesting was the way that they just listed the facts of how many nuns left, and they didn't take a stance on why. Which was a very good documentarian almost choice.
1: Yeah, because
0: are they leaving because they can't practice the discipline, or are they leaving because they're allowed to leave now? Right. We don't know, and those are two very different things. Right. Very different things.
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't remember if that's like the very last shot of the film or not is those nuns or if it's the younger nuns. I think it's actually Margaret Quailey at, at her ceremony. Yes, I believe um, so. But I thought there were some nice cuts where you're kind of seeing the young girls talk about what they're giving up as they contemplate doing this forever. Mm-hmm. And then cutting to some of these unknown faces of the older nuns who already have. They have made their choice. Um and you kind of get that um, decision that Margaret Quayley's ultimately faced with kind of represented on s- screen. Like, is it is it worth it? Um, yes. What, what, what good is it? Um, and I think that uh, and it, nice... It seems like
0: the goodness is the sisterhood element, which yeah. is best illustrated by her lesbian relationship with the nun who comes seeking discipline.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think you get that through the nice nun. The young, kind of youngish one. Yes, the one who leaves. Right. Yeah, she leaves, but you can tell, like in a way, it's a little hard for her. Like mm-hmm. there's something that that she does like about it. And I think that's absolutely right. That she didn't right want to, but she had to. Yeah, I think that's completely right. That it, that it is something about the sisterhood, um, about um, just that yeah. feeling of being together. I think
0: that it's. Um, I'm just kind of coming up with this right now, but I, I almost think that it's maybe the mirroring of something like Fury, where. Um, in his film it's it's very much driven by the brotherhood of this tank crew
3: oh okay
0: and and, you know by all rationale they should want to leave but they stay together because of these relationships even in the face of this horrible war as they have casualty after casualty yeah and it's kind of a similar feeling where it's they're almost in war and they both you know it's not a real war because it's a holy war which isn't you know necessarily a real idea it's just something that um is kind of used to manipulate and gain control over those that would be able to give you control yeah. with something so simple of an idea um and it's you know used in all religions so it, it it seems kind of something like that where it's they're almost together in this sort of a war um and, and abuse situation of yeah. terror and trauma and that that brings them so close it it's almost like war vets where no one else is going to understand this. No one else yeah. is going to understand starving to death for the Lord.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in wartime, right, like you're – if you were alone, you would bail in an instant, right? But oh, if yeah. you have a I group – I would Dunkirk the shit out of war. Yeah, if you were <laughs> in a group and there is this message that you are there for this greater purpose – um you're looking to other people to see kind of, you know, what the group is doing. Yeah, the group mentality. Um, and, yeah. and in that, that that broader message sort of usurps whatever just immediate awfulness you're experiencing. For
0: most, yes. Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, and that's what made it so wrenching for me is to see her just lean harder and harder into this idea that she's going to try to... And it kept um, failing
0: her and yeah. hurting her. And that that's what made that film hard.
1: Just this cycle that she's not feeling anything in response from God, and she thinks that's because she's not trying hard enough. So she tries harder, so she feels even less. It's brutal.
0: It kind of uh, ties in nicely um, with. We got to see First Reformed earlier this year in May um, during SIFF. Yeah. Um, and then I got to see Mary Magdalene recently, mm. um, and then we've got the Nun coming out in a short while. Yeah. It, it's kind of a, a nice slow religious build of a film.
1: Yes. Um, we should have paired Novitiate and the Nun. We
0: we should have. That was on us. We'll have <laughs> to we'll have to find something else that Tayosopharmagas and perhaps. Exactly. Yeah. Excited for that. If one. we've got enough time that week. Yeah. Um. So just closing thoughts on Melissa Leo for you. I don't think that we got too much out of you on, on her performance.
1: Um I liked it quite a bit. Um I think she um was um successful in being sort of the monster she needed to be like you said um, and on the other hand I sort of under I think she successfully communicated why she might want to hide what these Vatican documents were, were. yes um, before they were into effect yeah yeah I think it um I think it was a uh, uh, an advantage to the film for sure
0: i I certainly enjoyed talking about this film and its ideas more than I enjoyed watching it
1: Yeah, that happens
0: Sisterhood! Woo!
3: (laughs) You're the best and we love you!
1: That is right Support the girls, if you will Andrew Bujalski, if I'm pronouncing that correctly The director
0: of the live-action Lady and Tramp film himself
1: very interested in seeing what that comes out uh, and what that will be like. Uh, his last film was called Results, which I liked quite a bit. Uh, I think this is your first experience with Andrew Bujolsky.
0: It's the first experience where I've known it's him. I I was looking through his list and I had seen one or two of his other films, but I don't recall what they are off the top of my head. It was pretty yeah. late last night, early That's this right. morning. <laughs> yep,
1: We just saw this last night at the Grand Illusion Theater. Here in sure Seattle, yeah. um, would you, you talk to me into
0: it? Um, That's right. Well, you sent me a text that said, "Hey, I'm going to go see this movie at seven. Want to go?" And it was a Friday. And the last time we did that, you made me suffer through the miseducation of Chloe Moretz, um, and I did not enjoy that film at all. So I did some digging before I replied. I, I took my time. Did I, your homework? I checked the trailer. I checked the reviews. I thought, a 4.9 on IMDb? This movie must be terrible. And then I took a look at the Rotten Tomatoes, and it was like 91%. I think Metacritic is 87. I was like, there is a clear split here. And then I watched the trailer. Yep. And I decided, you know what? It fits with our theme this week. I'll go suffer through. And oh boy, it did suffer not happen once. This is the least sufferable film that I've watched all year it was just a great time
1: i agree it is a little bit of a deceiving uh movie in its marketing and and i think that's um part of what happened with results too it sort of looks like something a little bit more mainstream or um ordinary than i think it is i
0: think it is mainstream though i think it's like almost as high art mainstream gets
1: I think you're right. And I think that's why I love it so much is I think there's like a really small number of films that sort of like fit in this gap that it fits in. Wind um, gap, if you will. We'll get to wind gap later. <laughs> Don't get too excited about a sharp objects just yet.
0: I'm just looking at this pencil. <laughs> um,
1: but yeah, it is a uh, super accessible movie. It's a, uh, just to kind of lay the groundwork, since this is this just came out, it's in super limited release. It's this is the only theater it's playing at in Seattle. It's not on VOD yet. Um,
0: it doesn't have a release window scheduled, so it could be out on digital release for you guys to watch next Tuesday. Yeah. Or it could come out in November, or it could be pushed to next year. Um, yeah. And they, you know, Disney could buy the rights to the film and plan on putting it out in conjunction with Lady and the Tramp, we have no idea what's happening as far as it's released beyond this.
1: Yeah, that's what made me eager to check it out before, you know, it disappears. perhaps got lost. Um, and I'm definitely glad we checked it out. Um, I think tonally it's just a really distinct, uh, movie. I, I don't think it feels like any other comedy that you're, you're likely to see at the multiplex, even though no. on the surface it kind of looks like it or feels like it in some way, um... It certainly has
0: comedy... The strongest parts of lesser comedies yeah, are present here. Yeah. But what those weak comedies don't have is the strength of character. And yeah. the slow burn of interest that this yeah. film has. I was interested from beginning to end. And I never looked anywhere else than the screen. Like um, last year, my most famous incident of not looking at the screen, I decided to watch Justice League Mm in IMAX. And I realized that it was more interesting to look at the cup holder that was pushed up in front of me, reflecting the light of the screen, than the film itself. That caught my eye more than the film. Not a good sign. And this movie is kind of the first of the year where I never wanted to look away to gain perspective. I just wanted to keep staring into Buzowski's lens and let him drive me. Where he's yeah. driving me, I think that in your review you you specifically mentioned his use of absent space.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: And that, yeah, I was very drawn to what he was going to do with space yeah. and what personalities he was going to have inhabit these spaces.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, what I talked about in 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 my review was how. You know, it comes together partly just in the framing, but also in the editing. How often you see characters, you know, sort of exit the frame, and the camera sort of lingers on the the space in which they previously were. Um, And I think that contributed to sort of what feels very real about the movie, right? I mean, all too often, you know, a uh, a studio comedy or just kind of comedies of this, um, you know, in this kind of setting.
0: this fried chicken bar food girl. Yeah, <laughs> um, they, 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 they,
1: they feel just a little commercial or they feel a little bit like product or Extremely something like commercial. that. Extremely commercial.
0: Yeah, yeah. Th- like th- this very easily could have been called American, m- mid-American pie.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right?
0: Like it, it's it's a film that's like the highest version of art that the American pie audience would also like to watch.
1: Yeah. And it's really subtle choices like that that I think contribute to that sense of realism. So one is sort of that, um, choice to sort of, you know, linger on these empty spaces that sort of suggest that there is a world beyond that which the characters immediately inhabit. Mm I think that sort of, you know, gives the film, like, some expansiveness, um, and And then the way
0: characters enter and exit and never come back.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um... And there's also uh there's no there's no music beyond that which is like in the world of the film. See, that's not um, something I noticed at all. Oh, I absolutely noticed that. Yeah, you're um, more of a form guy. Yeah. I, um, I
0: was drawn to these performances.
1: Yeah. I mean another movie that I liked earlier this year, but that's just different, is uh something like Game Night, right? Yes. Where studio comedy that has this kind of romantic element to it, um from what I remember, I could be wrong, but I think that's sort of the, the kind of movie that uses music to sort of cue us into this is a romantic moment. Or this is this a is,
0: chase scene, or this is an action scene, or we are a in a bar moment. now and she doesn't know that this is a real gun.
1: Exactly. <laughs> uh, unlike Support the Girls, where you take the music out and it all kind of happens at once, right? um and you never really can tell whether something's about to become serious or if you're about to laugh sometimes a little bit about to end right when it should Ooh, did you do you think it went on too long
0: no it ended right when it should have okay okay that's what we talked about that last night yeah 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 yeah.
1: Um, on a number of occasions it sort of feels like you think to yourself like oh no what's about to happen
0: yes and
1: sort of sometimes like nothing really happens like just it continues yeah Um,
0: we're we're almost thrown by how like okay we have zero emotional stakes at the start of this yeah instantly young boy gotta get him child care okay it's handled never re-enters the film yeah all of a sudden she's picked up told to go to the bank doesn't make it to the bank it's just these things keep happening it's In just life. stuff and she's, happening she's almost the victim of these things happening but she's also got this agency about her where she's, con- mm. she's controlling and willing to take responsibility and get things done and yeah. take care of these girls and she's always telling the people who deserve it the least you can always use me as a reference Yeah, it's, it's just this wonderfully down to earth but um, very responsible film yeah, And it's it's a very weird niche of the genre to make something like this.
1: Yeah, yeah. You could describe this story as one being about, you know, the the manager of a restaurant who's like a mother to her waitstaff, and you immediately have, you know, some kind of, you know, speeches in the middle where she's, you know, inspiring, or, you know, some emotional moments where she's really taking care of them. Like, it just feels as a much more, like, everyday kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Right? Um,
0: but you would almost be like, okay, have you seen Coyote Ugly? It's yeah. it's a weird movie to pick. Like, did you watch Pussycat Dolls music videos? Because this is kind of like a movie about real people inhabiting the world that they inhabit. Like, it's. Yeah. There's no clear way of defining exactly what this movie is. It's just like. You know that any decent person would end up liking it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard not to like, um, and it's just, it's just strange in its own kind of way. The first thing she encounters when she goes into the restaurant on this, this one day, the whole film's over one day, is she realizes there's a guy stuck in the ventilation system of a restaurant after, after she's crying in her car, uh, well, I guess at the very end, yeah, she's she's interviewing somewhere else. But I, I would think the, the, the vast majority of this film yes. is about okay. the sequence of I events just of to one day.
0: clarify. <laughs> That's fair.
1: Um, just a weird occurrence, right? Like, mm-hmm. you're immediately like, what the heck is going on? Like, why is this guy in the vent? Um, it, I and think, then we uh,
0: end up finding out, oh, the safe is in this room.
1: Exactly. And he couldn't
0: get out of the vent to get to the safe.
1: Exactly, like, it, it's funny, it's ultimately sort of touching as you sort of learn why this guy was in an the vent and his relationship to another uh, employee at the restaurant. But it, I think it also sort of establishes that, like, some weird stuff, like, might happen. Like, this is, this oh, is a absolutely. strange occurrence, um, and it makes for all these other moments where you kind of think to yourself, oh no, like, when one of those confetti guns goes off. And yes. you think, like, oh my god, did somebody just get shot? No, there's confetti falling or, from the or ceiling. Or
0: when she's having kind of her emotional breakdown and catharsis out back, and Man. Macy comes out with the with the confetti gun and just pops uh. it, and she thinks that she just got shot. Basically, um, Gabrielle Union is that her name?
1: Uh, Regina Hall.
0: Regina Hall. Um, yeah. So she just clutches her chest and kind of has to take a beat. Yeah. To just process.
1: Yeah. Um, another one for me was when Regina Hall finally sees the guy who was stuck in the vent coming out on the stretcher, and she has oh, this yeah. look of recognition on her face, but she,
0: she immediately covers it.
1: Yeah, and we don't know like we don't know what that relationship is yet, but you no, it's but we feel it as the you audience. absolutely feel, and it. you don't
0: need to be like an in an in astute or attuned viewer of a film to um to let Bujalski kind of coax you into these realizations. Yeah, as the film progresses, yeah, you don't need to have seen something or or know film one oh one to know that there's an empty space there under the lamp after yeah. Bobo says that she's pissed off that the foosball table's gone. Yeah, you know, it's just a presence that you feel of emptiness constantly. Yeah, and then when, um, eventually when she leaves, you feel that foosball emptiness again with her yeah. absence. Um, and I thought that the Character Daniela, who is played by a one time actress in this film, Shayna McHale, mm-hmm. was a powerful performance. She, she was very great. much dominated the screen. It reminded me of Tangerine, kind of, mm, yeah. where, like, every time they were in frame talking, I was just ecstatic to hear the end of the sentence and hoped that they kept continuing to say another sentence
1: yeah she was hilarious uh her sort of mm-hmm. seemingly uh, it, it was an indifference i guess um yes uh about what's going on like do you this like is- <sighs>
0: working here yes yeah, so as she shakes her head no exactly um <laughs>
1: There's all this kind of seemingly strange offbeat stuff going on throughout the day but to her it seems just like a normal day. Any other day. Yeah. She got her
0: kid childcare, the car wash went well. She doesn't yeah. really care much for any other things. Macy's yeah. keeping things locked down at the bar.
1: <laughs> yeah. She's just getting through a day kind of like they all are and and they're just kind of helping each other do it. Yeah. Um you know, I think the emotion is really subtle but it's absolutely there. Um, yeah, this it's, is exactly it's like how I said, that sisterhood. And, thing.
0: Yeah, like you can feel the brevity of their emotions
1: yeah. constantly. Um, another one of those, you know, kind of faints is when she's in the car. Regina Hall's in the car with her boss on the way back to the restaurant and sees a woman crying in a smoothie place. And well, her employee, but we don't know that at the time. I did. Oh come on, <laughs>
0: Bu- Bujalski's lingering camera. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, it gives it away.
1: We don't know at that time what to make of it right
0: well sure but i think that i think that bujalski kind of telegraphs it to you i think that it's a very Mm -hmm. easy syntax to pick up on as as a viewer that if she's gonna look at this girl and the camera's gonna linger and show her expression yeah then it's clearly someone who is either employed or was employed by her
3: yeah for sure. Based on
0: the context of the film and that how she's spending her time is almost solely about the peoples that she is employing or has employed. Yeah. Or yeah. might employ. As, yeah. you know, there's all those other characters who she may employ.
1: Right. Taking um, it today. Yeah. Just another little moment where um, it, it it sort of, you know, hints at these relationships that we are yet to uh, get familiar with. Yes, um, and it sort of builds in this this little emotional suspense um, in a really seemingly kind of low key yeah. comedic setting. Um, so
0: you're firing me because I'm a white girl that put a black man's face on my body? Yeah, honey, that's not why I'm firing you. You know why I'm firing you? Why are you firing me? No answer.
1: No answer. <laughs> She's laughing as she looks at the tattoo. Yeah, great scene. Let me see it again, honey. Um, and I like I liked in the ending scene too where. Macy Haley Lou Richardson's character I talked about that in my review She's describing as uh, Her and the other two girls Regina Hall and um, The char- the actress you named Danielle something
0: Shayna McHale, Shayna Who plays McHale.
1: Danielle. Oh, Danielle is a character's name Yeah, they're all on the rooftop Sharing a bottle of whiskey
0: Yes, they are and Stolen they, bottle of whiskey
1: Yeah, they had just finished their interviews At the Uh similar kind of restaurant man called cave. the man cave exactly it
0: was a competition to whammies
1: exactly and Haley R- lou richardson's describing you know a, a waitress crying or not a waitress but just another woman crying in the parking lot um she presumes that it's you know somebody who just went in for an interview yes, and didn't got go called well. fat or something and, exactly and but, she's
0: screaming um <laughs> we love you well she got in her car she must be fine now yeah uh <laughs>
1: You know, another one of those moments that, that's that's funny and and just kind of, you know, offbeat because we're not seeing it, we're just hearing her talk about it and then it's out at the same time. But it's you know also that, like
0: extremely down to earth and kind and almost like heart melting.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Like what's what is affecting about this movie is that even though like it is it's not, you know, uh emotional in an over the top way, like, you do believe in the value of just compassion between these girls yes. And what Regina Hall is doing for them And you you know that there are other girls Applying at other restaurants Who are crying in parking lots by themselves And, and she's not
0: letting her girls do that And then yeah. her girls are going to try to help other people Yeah Which I Yeah that's that's a really nice tone that the film takes
1: Yeah it's played for laughs when Daniella says to Haley Lou Richardson After she yells It's going to be okay Daniela says, "You don't know that it's going to be, be okay. okay." Yeah, it's played for laughs, but she it's might like have just
0: found out she got cancer.
1: Yeah, every every one of these things could be tweaked just a little bit, and it'd be sadder. They could be tweaked in another direction, and it'd be funnier. And it's just like it's, it's this yeah, kind it's of narrow up, down, slide up down. Yeah. So um, Haley really
0: Richardson's Macy, great character, but one of your very top films, I think, in your top three last year was Columbus, also oh, yeah. featuring her. Absolutely. How does her performance stack up again?
1: I think this is probably the better performance. Um, you what think I, it's
0: because she got more to do? It's kind of more performance-centric and not as restrained and reined in as yeah. her character in Columbus was?
1: Yeah, I really attribute what I like, what I loved about Columbus um, to the director's work. Was
0: she a librarian in Columbus? Or am I yeah, mixing films? exactly.
1: Or she worked at the library, at least. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. if she was... Uh, I don't remember what she did was there. She was in
0: Culkin in that film?
1: I don't remember. He at least looked like Kieran Culkin, but I I know exactly who you're One talking about. One of the, Culkin the buddy was in it. okay.
0: Yeah. I like I blend movies. You know, I watched forty six yeah. movies last week. We, yeah, you know, uh, so yeah, no, I think that her role there is a lot more restrained, and she's not able yeah. to do as much, and she kind of has to play off of John Cho's sensibilities. Yeah, and his um kind of discovery and disenchantment with reality at the time. Yeah, and I think that this is very her kind of getting to enchant a film. And just let her ability to perform take over.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, She does. I mean, I think it is kind of a tricky role in that, like, it's super bubbly and upbeat. But at the same time, you know, she has to do things that are going to make us a little concerned for her. Oh, yes. um, To say the least
0: dating a um, customer.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Getting up on a counter. She's just having that role at all and being a young girl is just just troubling. doing what
1: she does, um, yes. regardless of like you know some of like the, the the more specifics of like the people she gets involved with, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess she is getting a little more to do here, but the, but I, that's not to diminish. I think what she does in Columbus, which I which I did really enjoy. No. Um, just very different roles, and it's nice. Well, very it's different nice
0: different as, costume choices
1: as well. <laughs> Absolutely true, <laughs> um, but it's it's fun to see you know just a character like really work with some range. Yeah,
0: um, yeah.
1: That's it's get to super really nice.
0: just literally scream. Yeah, that that was such a good moment.
1: Yeah, um, one of my favorite endings of the year. Actually, I think, and I think. That double whammies is going to be one of the places I best remember of, you know, from movies this year. Um,
0: Yeah, with, with what Steven Soderbergh made me. He just got me so frustrated and content at the same time with the end of Mosaic.
1: Hmm.
0: As well as Unsane. And then Hereditary is ending. Another good one. A quiet place. I I have some pretty good feelings for. Hostiles. Mm, yeah. Another strong ending. Red Sparrow. Another strong ending. I, I mean, this is a great ending, and the it end. It's the first movie that ended all year. Right when I personally thought this should end. Yeah. But I, I don't know if it's necessarily the strongest and most memorable, just out of the fare that I've seen this year. But it's. Yeah. I I think that it's twelve on my list. Pretty high. My my. Yeah. You know, it's in my top 20, not in my top 10 Minding the Gap took its spot
1: Oh, that's right And I had to
0: figure out a way to keep Mary Magdalene in there
1: It's tough Uh, Yeah, for me it it was a moment of catharsis After a day of an accumulation of frustrations You know, that are small but seemingly small but big at the same time um
0: oh yeah i mean husband leaves uh employee with the abusive boyfriend and yeah the the, uh employee whose cousin breaks in and yeah there's there's a lot accumulated but it and it all affects her she doesn't brush it off but she keeps going
1: yeah
0: and it's i really like the quiet strength of Yeah, it's a it's a very stoic film. Yeah, almost like Hostiles is
1: dogged determination in her to just just keep chugging along, get through another day
0: uh, with the girls.
1: With the girls, and she does. um, Two thumbs up. It sounds like from both of us.
0: Yeah, yeah. I can't believe it was that good.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm glad
0: you're one for two on Fridays.
1: (laughs) I'm glad I can uh, continue to suggest movies. For now, for
0: now. (laughs) Um, well, I think that brings us to our weekly recap of sharp objects. Do you right. have a knife, a pencil, and
1: ice... I can go to the kitchen really sickle, quick. and uh um,
0: an ice pick, um, maybe a meat hook.
1: We're doing this at your place, and I did not bring any of my sharp objects. Could you lend me one?
0: I, I can. Let me just grab this uh, paperclip. It's sharp enough if you just hurt yourself a little bit. It's got dulled ends, but... If you stab yourself hard enough, like Amy would, you can certainly tear open the skin there.
1: I don't know how I'm gonna get any teeth out of a pig with this.
0: Oh, but... uh, so chopsticks, right?
1: We uh, just we just
0: open, and then okay, we, we okay. squeeze real hard, and then we punch people in the jaw, and hopefully the teeth come out.
1: So is this how you think Emma got teeth out of a pig? I no paperflash?
0: longer think it's Emma. <laughs>
1: okay, then let's let's. Let's dig in.
0: (laughs) Let me get to my show notes on the television show and or limited series, Sharp Objects from HBO.
1: What if after you die, part of you goes to heaven, part of you stays here,
0: just to
2: see how things
0: turn out? So we're going to start with Closer, episode five. Do you know the names right. of the episodes? I do. I wrote them down.
1: Number six is Cherry, I believe. That is correct. Boom! Boom! Blowing it up. You can hear All that right. second beer kicking in.
0: Ooh boy, we got another half. <laughs> so, um, for the first time, I took note of what the intro was mm. um, on episode five. Closer and um just kind of the the list of things that ha- that happens in order mostly in order some of the things i'd kind of hold in my mind and just keep writing because i can hold one thing in my mind at the time pigs factory record bug flashlight totem dancing blood dripping dancing skating wires fractured glass amy's character camille reflection boom boom it's kind of, it, it kind of definitely gives the tone of the film uh, or the the limited series, much like True Blood did. Yeah. That intro, you know, it's not necessarily elucidating a better understanding of the show, but it's definitely giving you a genre feeling of the show.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the music changes with the intro each time, right? And the intro um,
0: changed each time. I yeah. didn't write down the intro of episode six because I just didn't have time this morning, but it was different. Yeah. I was like, where's the totem? Where's the wires? And I didn't see
1: yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to to kind of think about this in hindsight and and to try to assess, like, does the tone of the music at all suggest or hint to where we might be going tonally in that particular episode? Yeah. That Could would be, be a stretch, but like there. They're, I don't they're, think it would be a stretch with Jean Luc. they seem like pretty conspicuous like changes. That would be right? the
0: best reason for him to not give Chris Cena that playlist.
1: Exactly right. Yeah. Uh i do think it's a super strong intro and i I think intros are actually pretty important when it comes to miniseries to kind of get me back into that world each episode absolutely um especially if it's weekly yeah you
0: know netflix is miniseries where you get it all at once um i don't necessarily need that as much and i often do hit skip the episode intro or like the show intro yeah if i'm watching it you know back to back
1: yeah yeah for binging i would agree um that it might just not be necessary. But, you know, these I have broken up, and I, and I do think it's uh, valuable yeah. to kind of sink back in.
0: So, episode five opens. We have Calhoun Day. Right, And we have Patty looking down on everyone. And we also have her husband walking up and asking um, kind of what to wear and to make choices for him. Hmm. And we come to learn that this area that Patty's looking down on everyone from is made of a certain substance. Do you remember the substance?
1: No, I don't remember this.
0: It is an ivory floor and she's looking down on everyone from an ivory tower.
1: Mm. Technically.
0: Do you remember when nice she brings touch. Christmasina up inside the house and it's an all ivory floor?
1: Yeah, this and is... And she's looking
0: down on Camille.
1: She's talking a little bit about Camille's past, but... Being a, oblique about it, if I yes. remember correctly. Kind of
0: reassuring him that she won't tell him. Right. What he wants to know.
1: Yeah, which is very typical her. Patty, right? Yes. You know, to tell you that there's something you probably want to know, but I'm not gonna tell you. And I know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That is key.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Um so just kind of before we continue going, mm. coming into this episode, I still felt like um Amy could have just killed Emma, but right, it turns out to be a dream.
1: Ended the previous episode. Yep.
0: Which I think that maybe I said that it could just all be a dream, and <laughs> that ended up, yeah. you know, the absurd thing added on ends up being the correct thing. Yeah. Um, and then, um, let's see. Um, who do you think did it at the beginning of episode five?
1: Oh, going into this episode?
0: Yes, before you have the benefit of these next two episodes, let's just kind of take our temperature. Moving, you know? Yeah. Well, it's always (sighs) interesting to keep track of who you think did what.
1: Yeah. On the other hand, that I like, I think it's kind of a strength to the show, or perhaps it's an excuse for me not knowing. But that isn't. I don't know that that's something I'm necessarily thinking about from moment to moment. Um, I don't have Mm -hmm. like a super Uh, That's not something I'm thinking about Every um, You know, scene to scene, moment to moment um, I don't
0: think about it every moment But I certainly do make hmm. the effort To think detective show Reporter show Dead girl show Who might have done it so far
1: And then at the end of the episode
0: I kind of go Okay, who do I think did it now
1: That's interesting Like I spend more time From scene to scene thinking to myself Like this production design is still just incredible. Um,
0: I I did get bothered by the interior exterior on that episode.
1: Of Calhoun Day? Yes. Of the house? Mm Mm-hmm. What what in particular? Do you remember?
0: Well, the exterior and the interior are at different locations.
1: And that was the first
0: episode where I picked up that it was very clearly editing separate locations together.
1: Mm. It just took you out of it a little bit. Yes. It It
0: took me out of it a lot, to be honest. Took yeah. me a while to get back into the
1: flow. Yeah, um, but that aside, um, what what I really can't shake is what role the um, I think he's the drama teacher, right? Mm-hmm. What role he's going to play? I'm very suspicious of him. Well, we're going to
0: talk about episode six in context to this because he's we'll clearly <laughs> one of her um, assaulters.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think there uh, is. More there than we yet know. Okay. Who did it? Yes. I I do have suspicions about um, the theater teacher. I don't know. I don't remember what his name is. But um, I'm not sure what to make of him yet. Uh,
0: I, I definitely have a feeling of what I make of him, but I don't know what to make of him.
1: Yeah. I think that there's sort of two. To me, there's sort of two interpretations one is that his role is merely in filling out you know amy's history as one of his assaulters like you said or does that su- just suggest to us that he is perhaps capable no of something because violent. he's
0: introduced as um Emma's teacher first
1: right and but that I mean, quote
0: that i had last week was his quote
1: what was the quote um, or what was it about
0: something about how history can't oh, be changed
1: yeah. right uh yeah, I mean, regardless of how we meet him, I just think us knowing that he was there perhaps suggests that there is something latent um, within the him water. that he yeah, is capable yeah. of. Um, so he is. Uh, there is a big question mark over his head.
0: There, there certainly is um, a very accusatory tone to Calhoun. Where yeah. it's very conspiratorial, the camera is. It's kind of looking at everyone as if they have their own conspiracy. Right. And uh, any time that it kind of drifted towards the women on the porch, I kept thinking about Suspiria's witch coven.
3: Ooh, yeah.
0: And, and I was taking note of... Um, I'm sure you could tell me what color their dresses were, but I was like, only one of them's in white, and the other ones are in colors. And every single time I see the drunk friend... Oh, yeah. She's in the darkest color. Mm. In the scene Any scene she's in, she's almost always in the darkest color Yeah. And I wonder what that's about
1: Yeah, I'm trying to remember Since I watched these episodes apart Did they drink, didn't they take some They were taking harder drugs prior to getting up on stage, right?
0: Well, you're talking about the kids Yeah I'm talking about the girls Like the, the friends that are Patty's age On the
1: porch Oh, right, got it, okay In
0: that circle Gotcha And uh, Patty comes out finally like yeah. they're talking about her behind her back, and she talks to the little girl, and she comes over, and then she leaves., yeah. but you know how they're all kind of in a almost a different pattern. one of them's in a white dress um and then her the drunk friend who's always drinking in at the bar and and just always getting loaded yeah. is in the most dark outfit right in the scene, and she's almost Got always it. in the darkest outfit and later in either this episode or the next episode, she is caught by Christmasina's character um changing the flowers that are decaying out in the alleyway where the last girl was found dead
1: right do you have suspicions about her? I know you had thought that might be a funny or not funny but it, you know interesting a, yeah uh, um, I have a little I know
0: I've changed my perspective into that she knows everything about what's going on
1: yeah but
3: that
0: she won't be the rat
3: yeah she she won't kiss
0: the star yeah. Or, like, the star, rather.
1: Yeah. I do like her character, though. She is a fun yeah, addition. No, it's, it is fun. Yeah.
0: Um, so, next, um, what's more haunting than a memory?
3: Hmm.
0: You know, they're kind of depicting the house as haunted. And yeah. they're depicting rooms as haunted. And then they're depicting single room as haunted, right? Amy's yeah. uh, Camille is falling asleep, and she's being haunted by these things. Um, when we get to episode six, she's... Literally spinning around in a circle and being haunted.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, do, do you have anything kind of on the haunting idea? Uh, feeling?
1: Well, I think that sort of fits in with... It's um, hard
0: because you just watched episode six, so it's hard not to kind of delve into episode six. So yeah. we might just be doing these simultaneously for the listener, just yeah. so that we can have the, the broadness of the discussion, because... There isn't much of a separation in 5 and 6 And you kind of need each to talk about each other
1: Yeah, yeah, but um, I totally agree And I think that fits very much With the idea of this as You know, being a um, Story in the gothic vein, right? If if the gothic Tradition involves something You know, out of the past Continuing to haunt the present Well, a memory is absolutely something Especially the the
0: end of episode 6, right?
1: Yeah, yeah uh,
0: Patty on the floor Patty at the bottom of the stairs Patty behind the door <laughs> Patty everywhere Patty everywhere <laughs> um, What's next? Um, the play is women sacrificed to men And it can't be changed Because the men don't want it changed
1: mm. Interesting The men don't want it changed I don't know that I know what to make of that. Um,
0: I don't either. It's literally just a thing that is set within the show that uh, I just took note of. It, I, I, you know, I don't necessarily know what to think of it, but it, it, that's a fact. The men don't want yeah. that to change. Um, right. Or maybe they can't handle the change is another way of saying that. Or maybe um, the women in control don't want the change because the women in control lose their control. It's yeah. kind of like that. Um, what's her name? Is it Christina Hendricks?
1: Yeah. The actress?
0: Yes. Yeah. In Mad Men. If mm-hmm. things were to change within mm. the advertising office, she mm. would lose control of right. an entire half of the workforce. Yeah. And so she kind of didn't want the change to ever happen. And once it does right. happen, Elizabeth Moss mm. kind of throws it in her face. Yeah. And so I think it's kind of in that vein of um, you know. The women that do have control, which would be patty's character, yeah, don't necessarily want to sacrifice that control for everyone to feel better because then she would be equal to them instead of in control of them, yeah, and in control of other notable characters, such as the sheriff,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: and the number one business owner who is her husband,
1: yeah, yeah, there haven't been too many instances, I think where and I think this is a this is a strength where we've seen Patty like really. Revel in her control which w- which i think would make her even more of an easily definable easily definable villain
0: and despisable
1: yeah absolutely um that's that that control is is there, but it's she she acts as if she doesn't have it right you know, yes um, yes she's she as if she's in, the victim somewhere
0: in these notes I have <laughs> that she's acting like she's a lolita character, yeah even though she's much older, but she's playing it. You know, she's wearing the almost Lolita sunglasses that we see Anya Taylor-Joy in in Thoroughbreds.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, she's wearing these soft white dresses that are, you know, very girlish. She, yeah. she has a very demure character to her body's mannerisms. Yeah. She, and, and she's always expressing herself to be the victim of other things. But slowly we've begun to understand that she's as much as she's presenting as that She's really in control of all these things
1: Yeah, it's really not hard to imagine Emma becoming like her mom
0: Not at all And I'm, you know, the <laughs> alliteration Is the, the least, you know Obvious characterism of that
1: Yeah, yeah um, I'm interested to see where they both go um, I think Their relationship I- Emma and uh, Patty Clarkson's character I keep forgetting her name um, Mama it's Mama Adora, right? That's her. I think that's her name. Um,
0: which is Ador, which is Jador. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: yeah. Um, you and know she's I, also
0: always kind of indoors.
1: I I, I kind of wonder if, if if there could be a clash between them at some point. Um, you know, obviously, Amma's oh, the completely episode a breakdown. You think that's going to come? I mean, Amma's it depends obviously on what
0: happens in episode seven to set amy's character up with the need to do something yeah because it, i i think that what i've been picking up on and th- this is very very much just kind of off the cuff like i, I haven't been planning this out but yeah just a general feeling is that she's the way that her visions have been coming to her of her dead sister and the way that she's been brought into Emma's life is that she's not going to let another sister die yeah. so that her mom can have power or control, or that her father can continue to be a victim that has some level of control, and yeah. that she's maybe going to stand up, and that that might be kind of the undoing and the unraveling of who's truly at fault in the show.
1: Yeah, yeah. There could be, like, you're saying there could be a greater bonding between them in the form of some kind of
0: not Not necessarily protection. even a bonding, um like, like a classical, like, we're going to make them bond, but like a... yeah. Emma can hate her, but she's going to keep Emma from dying. Yeah, type Mm. of a bond, which is going Mm. to completely unravel and destroy the characterization of this house.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's easy on one hand to sort of suspect Emma, but on the other hand, to sort of just see her as vulnerable, right? Um, Like
0: he's a very cunning victim, especially in that pool scene in uh, episode six.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Yes, I mean you. You could maybe see her as manipulative, and that I, I think she definitely is. But you might also just see her as that's how too she's over,
0: come to stay alive.
1: Too, I, I think she could be too overconfident. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I, 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 I feel like she. One reading could be that with her, her having learned from her mother. Um, what it is like to try and be in control and be manipulative? She might underestimate her own her own power, mm. which which is mainly that's, sexual. That's a good note. Um, well, I mean, it's definitely
0: it, expressed sexual,
1: right? What she what she might not realize is that um, in in uh, somebody else's eyes, her sort of outward sexual uh, behavior might uh, be responded to violently. Yes. Uh, and I think that's how she could get herself into trouble yeah um, which we we haven't really gotten and yet.
0: likely get Camille into trouble exactly yeah. um, so we're still on episode five notes here um, yeah. first 10 minutes Emma says don't tell mama again just kind of that onward note um episode six I don't remember her saying don't tell mama once
1: I don't remember that off the top of my head I don't think anything would have would have required it yeah
0: so but the interesting thing is there at the end mama's here and everything while the girls are tripping yeah on the bed together talking
1: looking in the doorway
0: yeah and at the bottom of the stairs and yeah
1: don't tell mama maybe mama already knows Knows. exactly
0: (laughs) um patty's uh mama which is adora um says you've both made me bleed do you remember the scene the dressing room where she gets really frustrated.
1: I absolutely remember the dressing scene. I'm trying to remember the the context. She says that to Camille.
0: She says it to both of them.
1: Oh, she says, "Oh yeah, that makes so sense." When yeah. she's
0: standing outside the door, and yeah. uh, they're both standing outside the door, mm. and Camille's in there, and she's kind of having a, a little breakdown because she doesn't want them to see her scarred body, yeah, and the words written on it. Yeah. Um, and I almost think that she's like squeezing her hand with like oh, her nail the, or something from the rose bush. Yeah, like cat, I yeah. almost think she's tearing it back open and um what's interesting is that she's kind of accusing them both of causing her pain but she's also putting herself up by reminding them that they're only alive because of her right Mm. because you both made me bleed is also an alliteration or a a metaphor this idea of her being broke open and and bleeding during
1: childbirth yeah yeah uh but again, it, it, it to me, it feels like manipulation, right?
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah. It, no, it's yeah. absolutely manipulation. Mm. It's just, um, I think it, what really comes across, um, to, to tie back to your question last episode, what is it that David Fincher's doing um, yeah. in two hours that Gillian wants eight hours to do? I think yeah. the difference here is this slow burn of Gillian's um, word use um, mm. that, that didn't necessarily come across in Gone Girl. But that is yep. coming across here now, you know. We have enough time to sit with the idea of Emma and Mama and Adora and Camille and um, the words written on Camille's body, and the way that she uses a, a man's body, and needs to be encouraged to use a man's body. And yeah, it's a very character-driven piece that I I I wouldn't have the deep appreciation of this noirish narrative that yeah. I have without it being this long.
1: Yeah yeah. Uh, I still don't know that I completely agree I completely understand That argument um, I still don't know that I'm completely sold That's totally unfair of me After a very good argument has been made um, But uh, I can still just think of too many examples Of movies that I think have Involved Really deep, complex Characterizations in two hours, uh,
0: but what about with <laughs> let's see one two three four at least four main characters?
1: Yeah, here's what I'm maybe starting to feel is that I think I I, I think I'm I keep trying to like defend it as uh, you know something that should have been a movie. I don't know that I feel that way anymore, but I don't know that that I think that's its best argument for being. A miniseries is its characterization um, or that the length was absolutely necessary to get the characterization that it involves
0: what do you think the best argument is?
1: the episodic nature of it um, we do just literally get in, in a detective story more opportunities um, for misdirection and complication of who we think might have done it Sure, and um,
0: so, to me, the only difference is then that we're really having is where we throw our definitions of words. And all those things that you describe. Yeah. it would just be under characterization for me.
1: The characterization
0: yeah. of these noir, noir aspects. Yeah. Get yeah. a slow, episodic burn.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just want to be clear that I am enjoying this show. Okay. <laughs> That's my big point. <laughs> so, what
0: you're saying is that Margaret uh. Qualley is the daughter of Andy McDowell.
1: I'm not engaging. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: and Hail Caesar is a five out of four? <laughs> That's all for me, folks. <laughs> uh,
0: all right, we're still not even halfway through my episode five notes. Let's uh, do it. I've got a quote here from Emma. it looks like. Hardly matters, you're ruined. You wanted to know who your father was. All spite. I'm glad Emma saw that. Okay, so it, it was Mama that said that mm. to Camille um, mm. in the dressing
3: room. Again. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, so she wanted to show Emma the scars and the words on Camille's body. And that yeah. was a purposeful manipulation to take her clothes away and get her to open the door to show Emma.
1: Yeah. One of the. One of the more brutal ones.
0: Absolutely. And and what it says there, um you wanted to know who your father was. This brings me back to remember last episode when I was incredulous that we had finally defined her father as being her father?
1: Yeah. Now I'm back to who the
0: fuck is her dad, man. It is a little confusing.
1: <laughs> I I thought that again during episode six. Yeah. Where he comes in Absolutely. to the foreground. Uh so that is uh an increasingly Bigger question, and
0: now due to the nature of Patty's or Adora's or Mama's unfaithfulness, yeah, I also wonder like, is her father a character that we've seen? Yeah, that she's reporting on.
1: Yeah,
0: as possibly being the perpetrator of the crime.
1: Yeah, and my my I I was kind of wondering the same thing. I mean, the, these are kind of less interesting, like, deductions, but I think, kind of, like, age wise, the only person who came to mind for me was the sheriff who would come to well, her house. The sheriff,
0: before. or perhaps, um, you know, I, I would absolutely see Adora Rob in the cradle of that um, older fellow who beat the shit out of the younger guy at the festival
1: Calhoun Day. Oh, that would be surprising to me. Uh, I wouldn't
0: be that surprised by Adora's character, you know?
1: Yeah. I don't doubt her wanting to to try it. I have a harder time picturing it, I guess, than I do her well, I with don't the it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to picture it. I don't want to picture any of it. I just,
0: you know, it's a possibility. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, hmm. Oh, yeah. So the uh, the old friend is always, like I said earlier, in juxtaposing clothing... To the norm, or in a when she's in a group, she's kind of um, characterized as like a black sheep.
1: When she's in a group, Camille, you mean?
0: No, uh, the old friend, the dr- the drinking friend.
1: Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: the one who won't tell Christmasina, but will tell him that he's getting warm.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, knows more than she's willing to let on, um, but is honest
0: about it in a way that Adora isn't. Yeah. You know, like she's a lot more earnest than most characters.
1: Yeah. Um she, yeah, she seems like the one who's sort of least com- least comfortable in the the kind of the world of Wind Gap. You see these all these other women who despite, you know, probably um suffering in some way from the um workings of this small town she's one who i think seems like very very aware of what's going on yes. and she's her only solace is drinking
0: and uh, in kind of keeping the dead
1: yeah she doesn't yeah want to 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 resurface it um
0: but but she's constantly kind of um seen at the crime scenes and at the grieving scenes and just kind of taking care of, of the things that need to be taken care of, right? She's yeah. taking down the posters so that the mom doesn't have to see them Yeah. at one point in time. And then she's taking the decaying flowers and throwing them in the trash and leaving the pretty flowers and rearranging them yeah. in the uh, alley. So she she's almost serving this purpose that makes me think that it's definitely a
1: Mmm. That's interesting. Uh, but then it, it, like, it's gotta be Adora Kind of with somebody right Like, You can't yeah. picture Adora but doing But
0: you, you know what I mean like, um, Because they're friends It's yeah. like even though someone's So like you can have Friends that are abusive And you end up thinking that you're responsible For their actions And then you yeah. end up kind of cleaning up the pieces Even when you're kind of separated You still take care of the people that they ruin
1: And yeah. that's
0: kind of what I'm picking up on She's still taking care of the things that Adora's ruining
1: Yeah yeah. And uh doesn't want to sort of put the pieces back together herself in public. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Who can um, blame her?
0: So next quote is uh those preaker girls sure do like their boys and badges. Mm. Once again at Calhoun Day. I think it's from the girl that we were just talking about. Um but just, you know, something to keep in mind.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The the town's relationship with the police, um, that's what you're talking about right or that's what it was in reference to she's talking about guys with badges that saying? um
0: so chris messina's character and camille amy adams character and then um adora and the sheriff
1: yeah yeah, yeah.
0: the girls and their their boys and badges
1: yeah yeah exactly um do you remember who said that
0: i believe it was the uh black sheep friend the, the drunk friend. lady yeah
1: it sounds like the kind of observation she would make.
0: But, but it was one of the girls amongst the, um, on the porch in that circle that I was referencing earlier. It's one of them. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, then we got Calhounda is the vicious rape and beating of a defiant childbred who loses her pregnancy. That's yeah. literally what the day is.
1: Why are that's they watching? That's not me
0: reaching, this? that's not me wanting to, you know, look for some sort of alliteration or something nuanced. That is literally what they say the day is about.
1: Yeah. All this time people are questioning whether or not Calhoun Day should go on. And that's what it's for.
0: Yeah, it's for m- celebrating the beating and brutal rape of an already pregnant child bride.
1: It's pretty brutal stuff.
0: It's, it's very terrible. I, I don't like it one bit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would not attend Calhoun Day.
0: No. Well, if Amy Adams and Patricia Clarkson were there, maybe. Just to watch. Just to visit with them. Yeah. Yeah. Ask Patty how she's doing. (laughs) That's fair. Um, So, Adora brings Chris into the manse, and Emma's playing with um, the dollhouse with the boy and girl. So, right when Adora brings Chris in. Yeah. um, Amy's love interest, Camille's love interest. And right when she brings him into the house, Jean Marquis immediately shows Emma playing with the dollhouse.
1: Interesting. I don't remember that.
0: And that's at the dollhouse. She's with the boy who she's in the play with and another girl. And yeah. they're all taking um, either ecstasy or LSD. Yeah. Which we find out later. But right. the initial thing that we show is the manipulation that we were talking about last episode. Her yeah. moving, rearranging the dollhouse. Yeah. So it's as... Uh, Adora is manipulating things as Azama.
1: Again, is right how in, it's
0: presented, but that's not actually what's happening.
1: Right in front of Chris Messina, uh, yes, who's not, and that's not. And right later, at the end again.
0: of uh, episode six, right, they go, they're high as hell, rolling on roller skates past the other sheriff.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, very, yeah. It's, Small touch, and he doesn't react. But yeah, so it's kind of a running theme
0: of um, getting away with something.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely.
0: Or the preker girls getting away with something in front of the sheriffs. Yeah. Or men with badges.
1: Very routinely.
0: Um. And then I just got Patty's ivory tower there. Roses and thorns constantly coming up. Um, drinking enough to get through Calhoun Day is the tradition. I don't blame them. Of the women. Yeah. You know? Um. It feels good to be tied up, submitted, hurt, desired, Emma tripping during the Calhoun Day performance. So yeah. the way that they're characterizing her being tied up um, mm. is kind of juxtaposed later in the episode with Camille um, kind of being submitted by Christmasina in bed. And that's how the episode yeah. ends. And um, that's the only time that either of these girls are really giving themselves over to... Um, being free and letting go and mm. not being um obsessed and consumed with how to control themselves or what to do and it's the only time that they kind of seem to be relaxing and yeah. it's a it's a very interesting kind of a um statement about what this place is like and what these girls are like in the home that adora is running that the girls that she is letting into the world are you know these types of girls. There's nothing wrong with this at all. You know, it's a very typical biological expression of sexuality. But it is very interesting that they are depict or that Jean-Marc and Gillian are depicting this on stage in front of everyone. Yeah. And that she's drugged and feeling this immense sense of pleasure, visually. And um, she's gasping, kind of, in pleasure at these actions that are extremely sexual, but In the show, she's underaged. Yeah. It's a very questionable depiction of sexuality and, once again, what the hell is Adora doing to her girls?
1: Yeah, yeah. It makes it increasingly hard to watch. Yeah. Uh, It's it's hard to continue with at times.
0: And another um, kind of juxtaposing thing is Camille is overly clothed. And Emma is mm. underclothed.
1: Oh, big time. Yeah.
0: You know, um, and is and always wearing white.
1: Yeah, very consistent uh, costume design between the three of them. And consistent with their characters.
0: Um, and then there's something, there's a conversation that I don't know how to characterize correctly. Going on in the play. Mm-hmm. About the Union and the South, or the Confederacy. Yeah. And the men of the town. Yeah, and what th- what they may or may not be doing to women.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah that that ties back to the earlier quote, right? About the men uh, not wanting certain things to change, right? Yes. Um, yeah, I do think it, it's uh, it's um, appropriately um, ambiguous, right? Yes. Um, that's the kind of detail that I don't want overly explained. That's the kind of thing that makes you want to watch no, it again. No, it certainly cause...
0: made me lean forward and write it down.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, that's why it's in the notebook to begin with. Yeah. Um, and this is a malicious quote that I didn't expect, but kind of always felt was coming.
1: I know which one this is.
0: That's why I think I never loved you. That cold nature. That's a Dora to Camille. Sitting on the veranda... Telling her that she never loved her. Ever. And that it's because of her father's cold nature.
1: And if it was hard to watch the first time, you get it again at the start of episode six.
0: You sure do. (laughs) That's the first thing, in fact. That's the uh, I Never Loved You opening dialogue is my note.
1: Yeah. Just so you don't forget. Yeah. How cold she can be.
0: Um, And then, so as it ends, um, we. We have a few more scenes that kind of depict um, different people that could have done it or victims of the of the crimes of the girls dying.
3: Yeah, and it,
0: the the finale is um, her um, after being told that um, her mother never loved her and that that's why she can't express love. She goes to Christmasina's mm-hmm. hotel room, knocks on the door, and goes and has intercourse with him. Yeah. Um, and kind of my final notes there are that she's giving in to domination. She's finally letting herself be overpowered. She's finally not in control, and she's at the, for the first time at the mercy of someone else. Um, even though you know she is Camille, she's still able to control things. Things could yeah. turn at the at any point in time, and that's what's almost more impressive that she's not taking over. Yeah, that's the first time that she, by all reason. As who we know Camilla is would all of a sudden take over, and she doesn't until the morning. Yeah, one you know she's already up and out of bed, and he's like, "You slept clothed." Yeah, you know that's that, that's just the first time that her character broke, and that she gave herself to be vulnerable. Um, yeah, and but it ties in with Emma's character in the play, yeah. and it ties in with the girls in the town that are being victimized, and it, you know it. It all yeah. ties in together, and there's something there that Gillian's expressing, which is not just something that gillian thought but it's it's an old societal truth it's kind of a mythological truth you know it's something present in um what's called the the feminine divine um, in, in mythology and it's just this um quiet strength that comes from being willing to be a victim even though you don't have to be
1: yeah yeah it's a sigh of relief when she finally lets her guard down it's sure very Christmassy. This character after because you're almost like
0: maybe they love each other. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of hope, perhaps. Yeah. Please support the girls. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then my final note is: I at the end of each episode, I just like to have an idea of who might have done it. Yeah, I I love my whodunits. Um, and at the end of episode five, I thought it might be the girlfriend who cleaned the blood last episode.
1: Oh yeah. And we'll talk more about her in episode six, who we haven't really talked about so far in our recaps um, or discussion of... Well,
0: we did did a little bit in episode four.
1: ...quickly touched on her, kind of just in relation to the boyfriend. Yes, Um,
0: as the blood cleaner.
1: But yeah, she is playing a larger and larger role. She is.
0: Her ear's pretty effed up. It looks
1: a little... And she she
0: certainly is kind of a domineering character.
1: Oh yeah, she's trying to... uh, Pull some strings of her own. Mm
0: hmm.
1: Especially. That's why I
0: think it might be her.
1: Yeah. So we're in episode six. One of my favorite episodes of the season yet, actually. Really? Yeah.
0: Why is that? What's the biggest strength there for you?
1: Uh, I think the. Um, we can kind of go in sequence of the episode but I do think sort of the second half of it, um, is what I liked in particular, um, which is when, uh, Camille does um, sort of participate in Emma's um, partying mm. sensibility. Um,
0: yes. Yeah, I have some interesting notes kind of pertaining to Suspiria, almost.
1: Ooh, that's interesting. I don't know where you're going to go with that. Um, to me, when we see uh, Camille in the car with Emma and her friends driving to the party, um, the look in Camille's eyes when she's looking at Emma, and Amma's offering her uh, some oxy-cotton, um, there's a little bit of a smile on her face. I don't think up until that point I had really felt like Camille had w- was tempted in any way to sort of um, participate in Amma's um, sort of way of living um to, to me that was
0: the first time camille behaved sisterly as an adult. i was
1: just gonna say it's the first time they felt like sisters to me yes uh, and that was really really satisfying I, I i just felt like that was something that was more like pure experience and less um uh about driving the the narrative forward mm-hmm. um was that whole but i trip. i do
0: think that that will be one of the things that drove the narrative forward the most by the end of it.
1: It could come into play, but in the moment yes. I'm more focused on the present. The
0: experiential um, nature of it, much yeah. like um, yeah. that trailer for um, Climax was very experiential. Oh, that's so, and- I
1: was just going to say, if if they had to give any episode to Gaspar Noe to to direct, it would be this one. Yeah. <laughs> um so I thought that was uh, a, a nice kind of change of, of pace in a way Absolutely. that became very centered on the present.
0: So uh very few notes on this episode. I was really just drawn into watching it. Um yep. and I don't think that there was necessarily as much to Glean from gillian as an author kind of hitting me over the head with things i think there was a lot more subtext more reading between the lines that'll show back up in episode seven and eight yeah um but obviously the first thing we see in the episode is camille in all black and a black cross on the back of messina's back
1: a black cross on messina's back yeah, i don't Christian know if I remember cross. this was tattooed it, uh...
0: in his spine kind of right beneath the head
1: when they're in bed, yes, got it. Yeah,
0: well, well his naked buttocks are exposed to the night air,
1: looking um. good, Chris. <laughs> Keeping it toned, bro. <laughs>
0: uh, friend of the show, Chris Messina.
1: <laughs> Shout out. I mean, we went to the uh, premiere where he was there, so we're. we're oh tired. no, he's
0: friend of the show, no doubt. <laughs> if uh, Kempinar is is claiming to be friends with Patty Clarkson, then us and Chris Messina, we're. we're just super tight.
1: He's coming to my wedding.
0: <laughs> um, something we should know about? You're having a wedding? <laughs>
1: New, different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Change
0: the subject, he says. Um, so, uh, yeah, the thing about a tattoo, um, or that cross, right? The cross is sacrifice, which is something interesting in and of itself. But the other thing about a tattoo is that it's... Um, given to you through a sharp object and yeah. it is kind of the only defining characteristic that his body has within the show and i don't think that that's a real tattoo that chris has on him as a person i could be wrong he could be of the faith but i, I think think that that's very much a, of his detective character and um so i think that there is that kind of brooding similarity that you said that you were picking up on earlier that i wasn't where he does have something that he needs forgiveness from or for or he he's searching for answers um, yeah. and that he does find worth in something very similar to um Camille's pattern of cutting which is uh the the, the pain and pleasure of getting the tattoo. Yeah. Um it, you know the needle going in and out of you and leaving the ink behind it 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 changes you forever and it, it feels good in a weird way.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: If you're if you have that sensibility.
1: Yeah. Yeah, to me in in any given show or movie there are always sort of hints at Aspects of a character that you're not going to get to know more about, which and they're, make it a strength. Yeah. To, well, sometimes to me there are good questions and there are, and there are bad questions. Sometimes to me it's too obvious that there's something about this character we're never going to know, and it and it feels too over the top. Um, Yeah, a little too ostentatious or something like that. To me, that's a really inter- interesting touch because I kind of feel like he's already kind of come across to me as you know, sort of this, um, you know. Defeated kind of character, uh, s- sort of, um, um, possessing some shame, which we talked about at one point. I don't know that I would have really expected him to be the kind of person to turn to religion for solace. Yes. Um, so that, that does sort of just, um, Change, change the way you look at him, right? Even though, like, there's no reason for us to really go back to it, it just sort of enriches um, yeah, how we think about Yeah, it doesn't change the him. way
0: I looked at him. It magnifies it. It, it See, brings more mm-hmm. to it.
1: Well, I guess I would say change because it's something I, I didn't I didn't expect from him. Yeah. Um, but it's but, not like yeah.
0: a wild shift of his character. It's just like a yeah, enlivening of.
1: Absolutely. It's subtle. Um, but, you know, Small touches are what make the difference,
0: yeah, um so next note is that Patty is encouraging overly sexualized behavior Floozy behavior out of both of her daughters.
1: uh do you remember in what way you were thinking she did that with Camille? She would have been um
0: encouraging her relationship with the detective Christmas Christmas know, yes. Um, yeah. And and then also encouraging Emma to you know continue to dress kind of like a doll that is overtly sexualized, much like Patty's dressing herself. Yeah. And so what's interesting is that Patty's kind of orchestrating this overly sexualized characterization of young girls and yeah. her girls, um, which which ties back into Calhoun Day, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how we never really see Emma behaving, you know, in that sort of Lolita esque vein in front of her mom. It's her sort of being this, you know, perfect little um, daughter when they're playing with the dollhouse together. But perhaps the mom would be would be pleased with how sort of. shrewd she is and using oh, her sexuality. Oh, I certainly get that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because she knows the all her. the
0: things that Em's doing, but she's not letting her get in trouble for it. Yeah. And it seems like she was um, maybe not giving Camille the same leeway when Camille was a child based yeah. on the flashback context.
1: Yeah. Um, you can see to me, I feel the the disappointment that uh, Adora has in Camille sort of not being able to use her sexuality in the same way because mm-hmm. she has deliberately dis- destroyed, destroyed her, her own sexuality. body. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah.
0: So next is that thing that I brought up earlier Patty striking a Lolita esque pose to control men and downplay her own strength to kind of subvert mm-hmm. their expectations of how strong she is. Yeah. And how much control exactly she has over this town.
1: Yeah, very consistent.
0: Um, So now we get to that Suspiria idea. Um, It seems that alcohol amongst women is being used constantly as either a potion or a poison. Mm. And these female clicks and wind gap remind me of witch coven's.
1: Ooh, that's interesting. Uh, Because
0: they're always talking spring and and shifting perspectives on who's allowed to be who to whom and how
1: yeah uh which is interesting to think about then camille who, who's who's not uh who's not meshing with any of these clicks, but right? he's being drawn
0: um, in right Th- this is specifically in reference to her friend who's pregnant picks her up and hands her alcohol this yeah. is right when i took this note um and then they go on to continue drinking at the party, and she goes and openly admits that they were being a bitch to the only girl who's uh, black within the entire group. Yeah. Um. And then there's the um, housemaid who, who, you know, is the only other person that she's sharing affection to. But this friend who she's admitting that she was a bitch to, in the flashback, is the only friend who tried to console her and didn't tell other people that she was cutting herself. Yeah. So there's this interesting theme happening. Um, yeah, and this interesting um, and tr- extremely troubling theme coming up again of Union versus Confederate. Mm. And where did she move? Where did Camille move? North or south?
1: Uh, I don't remember which direction. Did she move north from? Yeah. To St. Louis. Yes. Yeah.
0: But within the novel, she moved to Chicago. Yeah. But um, in the podcast. Gillian said that they made the choice to have it be St. Louis because it's closer geographically and just makes it easier. Yeah. So I I do think there's a conversation Gillian's having about North and South. um, Yeah. Sensibilities and um, humanity and the lack of humanity.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. To me, I very much got an idea about kind of insiders versus outsiders Yeah, um, for, you know, in the context of sexuality, because when she goes to that party with the, uh, friend and the other ladies are um crying you know as they watch whatever movie that was or whatever show that was, I think that was weird just like a but i liked it yeah um and they're all talking about how they don't think that she could really understand what it's like to you know they, they don't think she can really feel the pain of a little girl being killed because she's not a mom um or has never had a kid and that's what women are, are for. I think one of them literally and, and says what's, that.
0: What's interesting is that at the end of that episode, um, her, uh, Camille's sister, Emma, is completely uh, juxtaposing that scene with saying her sister died and she's never addressed it or gotten over it. Or our sister died and she's never addressed it or gotten over it. Yeah. It, which is really interesting that, um, you know, this malicious kid is speaking truth that these adult women aren't
1: yeah 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 i mean the whole idea about like child behavior versus uh adult behavior you know Emma and her friends on their roller skates all sort of seems you know uh you know like an evocation of of childhood yes but like what's more childish than this cliquish behavior amongst the adults right um i think you know that's always kind of and they're continuing
0: to to just drink like the girls are drinking um and then so the next thing I have is kind of tying into what you're saying girls and women are depicted specifically in this episode um based on narrative words that are being spoken by characters in power and by the camera and girls are moving girls have wheels um we dredge the bike up we have Camille and Emma on roller skates um we have them getting into the car um and moving um and then, multiplying. Remember that line about girls multiply. Who said that? That's a the adult interaction where um, women are meant to multiply.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's this idea mm. of movement, mm-hmm.
0: and and I think multiplying and movement
3: mm.
0: is very syntactically linked.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It it it's kind of a funny touch after seeing Emma on those roller skates the whole time to finally see. Camille on him right her, yeah. you gotta think this whole time she thought to herself that looks so stupid but sure enough she looks like she's having and, a and good time and that's when she's having her best time and yeah.
0: begins to behave the most sisterly that she has yeah. and kind of opens her heart and when as soon as she opens her heart she begins to have the strongest visions of her dead sister yeah, in Emma's face yeah. and that's maybe why she's been keeping Emma at, at a distance which is maybe why Emma's been behaving that way Which we weren't looking for why Amma was excusable for her behavior. Yeah. But this episode
3: finally got that out of me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, And that's my next note. Perfectly. Uh, Sisterly pain and abuse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We already talked about it. Um, So this is a quote from the book that's also in the show. When you let them do it to you, you're really doing it to them. That's Emma mm. talking about boys doing things to her, and that's something mm. that Gillian wrote in the book originally.
1: Yeah, do you remember? Do you remember the scene?
0: Um, it's when they're talking in the um, after they've fallen down. I believe they're talking yeah. about her sexuality. And, oh, towards um,
1: the end after spinning around. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: And she's um, Camille's asking her kind of the details. The sordid details of her behavior. And um, Emma says, you you know, you did it too. And um, it's not like they're really doing it to me. It's by me letting them do it to me. It's me doing it to them.
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I think Camille feels the same way.
0: I don't think that she does, but it's a strong quote.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I I think that it is
0: something that women probably feel more often than... You know, um, we we would think, and that Gillian's tapping into something there.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, in an effort to sort of regain some sort of control or power yeah. after something has been inflicted upon you,
0: um, and not even to regain, yeah. I I could see someone just coming up with that um, without being a victim necessarily as well uh, of sexual violence, perhaps a victim of abuse of a different kind, like yeah. in the home. Yeah. Um. Like, you know, Adora being malicious and malcontent towards her daughter, but not sexually abusing her, and then her figuring out that by placating or, or playing as a victim, she can gain power from
1: men. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we've talked a lot about physical and sexual abuse, but in a way, like, what we've seen more mm, between is, is just emotional abuse, right?
0: Historical violence repeating itself, as Gillian said.
1: Yeah, um... I mean, what's more abusive than a mom telling her daughter, I never loved you? I mean, right? that that's, I mean, is, is that worse than a slap And I, I think so. But uh, she's,
0: like, okay, so is Camille's dad the dad in the <laughs> show? I never loved your father, the cold nature th- Like, what the fuck is happening? I really can't wait to get to episode eight to find out.
1: It is me. just confusing. I do like him as a character.
0: Yeah. And we've, uh, we've gone over Mama lurking, haunting the girls, um... The last thing that happens is the dead sister is in the mirror's reflection and says to Camille or to Emma or to both, it's not safe for you here, or it's not safe for you. Which I think means it's Adora! Huh? At the end of episode six, it's absolutely Adora, right? In,
1: con- in cahoots with somebody else, right?
0: It doesn't matter. Who's the mastermind?
1: I, I I agree she does seem to be the puppeteer but you know to sort of contemplate what's happened you have to consider all who's involved um who whose strings well I think it's are, Adora pulling
0: um the girlfriend with the earrings ripped out mhm and either the boyfriend or the uh Adora's husband
1: yeah yeah I, like I think Even though, like, I see your point, like, well, like, who's really the mastermind? It's Adora, but, like, it's, like, I think it's worthwhile to think about, like, who she might, whose strings she might be pulling, because...
0: Yeah, but if you're gonna keep up on every episode, that's just a lot of thinking to do.
1: Well, yeah, but that's why we do it. I mean, I think... Yeah, but,
0: I mean, last episode, when we were talking about last episode, you said that it's not conducive for you to think about who did it in any given moment. And now you're like, no, we need to think about every single person who has anything to do with
1: it. (laughs) The the reason I say that is because I I could see Adora being the mastermind, but somebody else taking the fall. Sure. Right?
0: Um, Well, yeah, that's what she set up. They set up that... um, the the sheriff, when he witnesses them go roller skating past, goes into the diner and tells Chris Messina's detective character that the Mexican has been found guilty, the Mexican working at the pig farm, and we as the viewer clearly take that as a frame-up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so even though, you know, we we might have our suspicions that she's behind it, who... Who else is involved? I think is, is it's it's hard for me not to think about to some extent.
0: Yeah, yeah. So who who all do you think did it?
1: Uh, well, I still have my suspicions about the the theater teacher. Um, sure, but we we like we really have not gotten how they might relate in any way. Other but he than he seems to be the most obvious question mark.
0: Couldn't get it up when they gang raped her. That's what yeah. we know.
1: That's it. <laughs> we, uh-huh.
0: Yeah. I think that's a successful conclusion to episode five. Drinking the movies, women in white. Um, I hear a cat in a distant room throwing a, a fit and a tantrum against the door. A little bit of raring. I think that's a good way to end it. Any closing shots, parting shots, closing words, exit statements?
1: Um, all the movies we watched, including uh, Sharp Objects the miniseries, are available. Um, at all the typical sources, so check them out. Well, uh, let us know what you think. Women,
0: support, support the women though. Support the women is not. You're right. Support Sorry. the
1: girls. Um, not yet. Still to uh, still to get a release on on the, yeah. the wider formats, um, but we we send us will um,
0: do YouTube links for um, "Lick the Star," um, "The Boy Who Liked Deer," and "The Frontier Experience." Those are all going to be free to watch. Um, just go to our website, Drink in the Movies. Um, Which, you know, you can go to our Instagram or Twitter to find the link to get there. Um, I think that's probably pretty much it. Let us know what you think. We're going to go watch *Poppy* on and uh, probably get ourselves another beer and a burger if we have the time. Uh, We'll see you next week. This has been Taylor and Michael drinking the movies.
1: We'll see you next week.
0: We have to go. I'm coming with you. And cut.